This podcast of the Equine Forum is brought to you by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business. It all begins in 15 seconds right after this word from our podcast sponsor. The University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business is now offering a graduate certificate which can be completed in 15 or 30 weeks and be done as a standalone or used as 20% of your MBA. Classes at both the undergraduate and graduate level are forming now for August. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. But Curlin quickly, like a shot, opened up a four-length lead. Officer Rock is going to make a run at him on the inside. It is Curlin under a hand ride. Robbie Alvarado finally asks him a little, and Curlin very impressively is going to take the Rebel by about five lengths. And Secret Oath comes to the final furlong now with a five-length advantage. Yuji Ree and Ice Orchid, this is another dominant performance for a budding superstar, Secret Oath to win the Honeybee. Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. With a rail skimming ride by Brian Hernandez Jr. at Mystic, Dan is turning it on in a huge effort for the Kenny McPeak Bard. Mystic, Dan, five, six ahead, and he wins wrapped up a dominant win in the Southwest. Nonetheless, Furlong, uncaptured Storm. Uncaptured Storms grab Spear Gun to a narrow lead. Then it's Clubman in third. Maximum impacted Bobby G with a 16th left to go. Spear Gun's coming back for more. Uncaptured Storm. Uncaptured Storm. Uncaptured Storm Spear Gun. Now, here's Mike Penna. Good morning once again, everyone, and welcome to the Equine Forum presented by Twins Fires. This is the show that launched a network, and it is all right here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, as always, happy to have you in the starting gate with me right up until 11 a.m. Eastern on Sirius 162 XM 207. Our affiliates in Lexington, Louisville, and across the country streaming worldwide and podcast on our website, horseracingradio.net, or wherever you are accessing your podcasts. Well, only two races are offering points to Kentucky Derby and Kentucky Oaks hopefuls this weekend. And they are both taking place in Hot Springs, Arkansas. The Grade 2 Rebel for the boys and the Honeybee for the three-year-old Phillies are both providing the winner with 50 Derby and Oaks qualifying points, respectively. The Rebel has attracted a field of 13 with Windstar Farms Timberlake set as the heavy morning line favorite for trainer Brad Cox. It's the first time we're going to see Timberlake since his Fourth place finish behind Fierceness in last year's Breeders' Cup Juvenile. We've already seen Fierceness disappoint in his three-year-old debut. If Timberlake were to put in a lackluster effort this afternoon, do we then start to look at the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and say, well, eh, maybe it wasn't that strong of a group. Maybe it's not all it was cracked up to be. Or... Is that jumping the gun? Is it too early to make that determination? Juvenile runner-up Muth did his part to vouch for the legitimacy of that field. He won the San Vicente in early January in his three-year-old debut. We haven't seen third-place finisher locked as of yet. His three-year-old debut was set back after spiking a fever. So it is probably premature to pass judgment on that race, even if Timberlake doesn't deliver today as the heavy favorite. But it definitely ain't a good sign. 
you like to see those horses come back and run well and prove, okay, the horses that were assembled in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile were a strong group, and we're going to prove it. Hasn't really happened so far. But in fairness to the race, we really haven't seen many of those horses return yet. Trainer Ken McPeak is hoping that Timberlake doesn't bring his A game. He's going to send out 5-1 to one morning line third choice, Northern Flame, and 30-1 to one long shot, Common Defense, in today's Rebel. He also has 2-1 to one second choice, Band of Gold, in the Honeybee, who is coming out of her convincing win in the Martha Washington on February 3rd. And then Kenny has two horses in the Razorback, which is the stakes sandwiched in between the Honeybee and the Rebel. And you're going to hear from Ken McPeak later in the program, 925 Eastern. As he sat down and talked with our Bobby Newman on Betting with Bobby, you'll get an opportunity to hear from Kenny and get his thoughts on all of his three-year-olds, including Mystic Dan, who, in many people's opinions, is going to need to prove that his last win in the Southwest, his upset win, was not a fluke. It came over a sloppy racetrack. It came against a group that some people are thinking maybe wasn't the strongest Derby prep we've seen so far. But you know what? Mystic Dan beat those horses by eight lengths. If you're Ohio State and you are playing some school that most people have never heard of in your home opener, you're supposed to beat them by a big margin, right? Ohio State is supposed to win that game by 50 or 60 points. And if they do, okay, people will say, well, they didn't play anybody. All right, but they did it the way they were supposed to. If if they win by three points on a field goal in the last second and they barely get by that team that nobody's ever heard of, well, then you start to question Ohio State and their credentials going forward. Nobody should be questioning Mystic Dan at this point because he did what he was supposed to do. Now, I get he was one of the long shots. He, it was a big upset. He was the team that nobody heard of. But if you're going to make the argument that, okay, the other horses in there aren't very good because they got beat by Mystic Dan and it wasn't the strongest prep, then you have to give Mystic Dan his due for beating a, if you look at it as a subpar field, beating that field the way he did. And Ken McPeak's going to talk about Mystic Dan and what he saw from him that day, what he sees going forward. Again, way too early to start making concrete opinions on horses we have seen return, horses who have not yet returned, and races like the Breeders' Cup Juvenile where many of the top horses supposedly met at the end of last year. Poll question for today. I'm going to throw it out there right now. Who are you taking in today's Rebel Stakes at Oaklawn? I'll give you Timberlake, morning line favorite. Just Steele for the coach, D. Wayne Lucas, second choice. And then Northern Flame for Ken McPeak. And if you think it's somebody other than those three, you can click the other category. But we ask that if you do that, you comment with your selections so we can pass those on later in the program. Who are you taking in today's Rebel Stakes at Oaklawn? Timberlake, Just Steele, Northern Flame, or somebody else with the other category? And you can cast your vote at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook. And if you don't do social media, email the show, Mike at HorseRacingRadio.net, and let me know your top pick in that race. In other 
non-Kentucky Derby related news this week. And yes, there are other things going on beside the road to the Kentucky Derby and thoroughbred racing. The National HBPA announced their claiming horse of the year, Uncaptured Storm. A nine-time winner in 2023 during his three-year-old campaign. He changed hands, how about this, five times last year, winning at least once for whomever he ran. How cool is that? You talk about a horse that's hickory. His owner, Rick Burnsworth, will talk about winning that prestigious award and look back on his championship season with me coming up at 940 Eastern. I'm also going to welcome NBC analyst and podcast host Nick Luck to the show. He'll be here at 9 o'clock to share his takeaways from his recent conversations with owner Mike Rapoli and Jockey Club chairman Stuart Janney. There was a lot that came out of both of those conversations. And Mike and Stuart probably aren't on each other's Christmas cards list. But they're both passionate about the sport of thoroughbred racing. And they come at some of the issues that are on the table right now from different angles, completely different angles. Mike Rapoli is the self-proclaimed commissioner of thoroughbred racing. He's not actually the commissioner of thoroughbred racing. Stuart Janney is the chairman of the jockey club. Stuart Janney has far more decision-making clout than Mike Rapoli does. But Mike Rapoli says, hey, wait a minute now. I'm one of the top owners in the game, and the owners need to take more control of the game, and I'm very passionate about the sport. And both of them come at it from completely different sides of the aisle. And I'm going to ask Nick what his top takeaways were from those conversations. Did he see or hear from either of them a clear path forward, or did he hear a set list of issues that are facing the sport right now that are pressing that need to be taken care of over the next several months. Did any of that come out? And did Nick walk away from those conversations feeling inspired and encouraged? Or was he more discouraged after spending that time with Mike Rapoli and Stuart Janey? Again, stay tuned for that conversation with Nick Luck coming up at 9 o'clock Eastern. Plus, if you've ever wondered... Who is responsible for the incredible amount of sports programming you hear every day on SiriusXM? And I'm not talking about only horse racing programming, but all sports. I'm going to visit with SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming, Steve Cohen, at 835. Not only has Steve developed an incredible menu of sports programming on SiriusXM, he is a passionate, longtime racing fan who is going to share his stories about the sport, and he'll do all of that coming up later in this first hour at 8.35. I think you'll really enjoy that, that interview. I also continue our Stallion Spotlight conversations with Hillendale General Manager Jared Burdine, who joins me at 8.15 Eastern this morning. 10 o'clock Eastern, Hour 3 kicks off with James Scully and the Twin Spires Triple Play. Kurt Becker at 10.20. Dale and Tim, Romans and Wilkin at 10.30 Eastern, talking about some of the hottest topics in the sport today. So a quick reset for you. In order, 
Jared Burdine, 8.15. Steve Cohen from SiriusXM, 8.35. 9 o'clock Eastern, it's Nick Luck. 9.25, Ken McPeak. 9.40, Rick Burnsworth talking about the National Claiming Horse of the Year. 10 o'clock, the Twin Spires triple play with James Scully. 10.20, Kurt Becker stroll through racing history. And at 10.30, I ask, they answer with Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin. All of that ahead on a very busy Saturday morning. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race the Twin Spires where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races, dine trackside in 10 Palms with an elevated view of the track, and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. Tenda Equine and Pet Care products have been keeping world-class equine athletes happy and healthy for generations. Keep your equine athlete looking and performing well with Tenda Next Generation Wound and Skin Care Treatment. Along with nutritional supplements, leg and muscle care products, salves, hoof care, poultice, topical aids, and grooming products. Visit TendaHorse.com today. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. And two fills has taken the lead. Two fills turns for home in front, in front by two. Mage is coming down the center. Hit show is there. Kings Barnes gives way. Angel of Empire with powerful strides down the center of the track. But there's one for long to go. Two fills fights on, but Mage has taken the lead. Angel of Empire's a rallying third. Time is running out to catch Mage. Mage digs down deep, urged onto the wire, onto the wire to win the derby. Mage the winner. Two fills was second. Angel of Empire was third, and Disarm came on for fourth. That is Travis Stone with the call of last year's Kentucky Derby. A memorable moment for the connections of Mage, who crossed the finish line first. And, by the way, is a son of good magic who stands at Hillendale. And I'm turning our attention now to this week's Stallion Spotlight and Jared Burdine from Hillendale joining me. Jared, good morning. And listen, man, good magic. What a year in 2023. And if you're going to burst onto the scene as a stallion, you might as well get a Kentucky Derby when you're in your first crop, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. No better way to get it started than it's later in the year. He followed it up with a, a two-year-old grade one winner in Muth. And, um, you know, I, I, the uh, it just keeps keeps rolling for him. It's, it's an incredible start for uh, it's an incredible group group of sires of that year too as well too with Justify and Army Mule and Gervin and a bunch of other that are could turn out to be an incredible uh, incredible year or crop of of stallions. When you sit down and start looking at a stallion to join 
that Hillendale roster. And I know working with John Sakura, um, trying to put the pieces together on which stallions you might want to bring in. You bring in a horse like Good Magic, who is a champion. He's a son of Curlin, who, of course, is there at, at Hillendale. You bring him in, and you hope he gets off to a fast start. But to have a horse get off to an incredible start the way he did, what does that mean for his career going forward? Well, I mean, you, you get this. I mean, you see it right there. He jumped from fifty to one hundred twenty-five thousand. So the, the, you know, the, the, the economic impact is, is huge, but it's also important for the breed, and uh, it shows our. Uh, you know, we brought a lot of the best mares to him. Our partner Stone Street and. Uh, Bob Edwards had stayed in on the horse, and um, they bred, they bred and, and committed a lot of uh, top quality mares to the horse. And um, we recruited and, and brought in and sold seasons to to, to a lot of the top ones. And, and you know, Mage is um, out of a shareholder mare, and so it's uh, put a lot of the right right pieces together and, and give them the best opportunity to uh, succeed. And give them all the give them all the tools to succeed in that first season, and the horse ultimately does it themselves. They they, they either got it or they don't really. I mean, we we can either speed it up or slow it down. Them showing it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's talk about Good Magic's father here for a minute. His sire Curlin, he is known as the classic sire, and rightfully so. My goodness, I mean, he doesn't need an introduction. He needs no endorsement from me or from you, but. Talk a little bit about Curlin and what he's meant to Hillendale. I mean, he, he's an absolute legend. There's a reason he's got a statue in front of in front of the stallion barn here. He's, uh, each year, the past two years, he's, he keeps breaking down and doing something new that no no stallion has ever done. Right now, he's, he's only sired to have sired three Breeders' Cup winners on the same day. He's doing it done it twice, two years in a row now. Um, he's consistently the leader of Grade One winners. Him and Intimist have kind of gone back and forth the last four or five years, and. Um, he's always at the top of graded stakes winner. So he's at the cream of the crop. And that's evident by his number. He's the number one sire in Breeders' Cup wins. Um, the 40 year history of the Breeders' Cup. You know, no sire has, has produced more wins than him. And uh, again, this year he had four individual Eclipse awards. No sire has ever done that. Um, he's, he's just an absolute legend. There are a total of 11 stallions standing at Hillendale, Hillendale to Lapa. Before we get to talking about the others, and we'll take them one by one, we'll go in alphabetical order, but um, tell me a little bit more about being out there at Alapa and that property and how wonderful it has been to move um, in that direction. Well, it, it, it's just a serene setting here. It's, it's a magical magical place and grounds. It's a, it's a beautiful place for horses and people to, to grow. I, I feel like if, if, you give them, if you give them a beautiful setting, um, like this, they, they they thrive and grow and and um, just less stress and they they pl- plenty of room. The fields are large and it's just a you know harmonious setting here for for an animal to to, to live and uh, just you know leads to better results. You know, the skin coats go better. They they they, they just everything works out better for them. And the and first stallion. That's all. Did John? It's all. You know, John John provides us with the tools to do all that stuff and. Uh, it's a lucky to to be here every day. Yeah, the first stallion who, if we're going in alphabetical order, resides at Hillendale at Alapa is Army Mule. And a grade one winner, grade one sire. Tell me a little bit more about Army Mule. Army Mule is just that. I mean, they have the determination and the tenacity to win. 
um, kind of like he did. He was uh, undefeated, and no horse ever came close to him. Just, and he kind of passes that along to, to to his progeny. You know, a lot of them looked like that, and they they just want to win. I mean, he's he's got 15 stakes horses from the first two crops. He and he ranks right up there with you know with with Gunrunner and and uh, all the high level horses with the percent of stakes winners to starters. And it's even greater if you go by name falls. And they 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 the kind of kind of proof was right right there when you know, the first, his first yearling sold. I think he had. 20 plus sell for over two over uh 200,000 so that's uh, consistently across there that uh we knew they were going to be athletes and they're going to be in the right hands and um he's uh gotten a big bump up in, in quality of mares and last year he had a $600,000 yearling and that's uh, was bred by us and in, in uh, Vinny Viola and St. Elias and so he's got he's gotten again he's he's gotten all the uh all the tools and the ingredients to 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 succeed, thanks to uh, thanks to our shareholders and, and Vinny Viola and John and uh, Craig Barnick, we've uh, given him every opportunity. With uh, he's tough as nails. He's tough as nails, Army Mule. So was Charlatan. Charlatan was just brilliant throughout his career. A multiple Grade One stakes winning, multi-millionaire. He sold, as a matter of fact, as a yearling for $700,000. So right from the start, he was supposed to be good and he ran to that billing. Yes, and he Charlatan, he he bred the the, the best the the, the 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 best first book of mares of of any stallion, especially I know of, of that we've we've started here. I mean it it was it was it was kind of royalty that the mares that he got to breed and, and the foals we've seen so far uh, are really athletic really athletic and kind of like himself you know he just moves like a cat so we're really excited to show them off as yearlings this year and uh really expect them to to uh, win races how about my old buddy ghost zapper man going going to the you ask about how how it is being here but just to be able to go in that stallion barn and you walk past the you know legends of the turf like uh curlin and and ghost zapper just his just just his race hall of fame race record alone but he's 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 it's hard for those horses you know the hall of fame race horses to match it in, in the stallion barn too but he he does it as well too i mean he's got he's got 99 stakes winners right now he's sitting waiting on his 100th uh, stronghold was his was his 99th he won the, the grade three sunland derby just you know just last week he's got 55 graded stakes winners 14 grade one winners 10 millionaires eight champions you know he's just consistently brilliant he's got uh Canadian champion Mora. She was second in the Breeders' Cup turf last year. Um, I expect big things from her this year as well. Close friends here, Donato Lani, picked her out and just campaigning her. He just, like I said, consistently brilliant. Every year he's got something coming. In. Just read a story on rhyme schemes that he's going to be coming back this year too. He, he was a brilliant two year old last year for Go Sapper. Um, it's going to be a great broodmare sire as well too. He already is broodmare sire of Justify and a host of others. Wow, what what an incredible stallion roster we're talking about here at Hillendale at Alapa, doing it with Jared Burdine of Hillendale. Jared, let's talk about Cantharos for a minute. Ranked number eleven on the general sire list, Cantharos continues to just get runners. Tell me more about him. He's the infantry man. He just he gets absolutely just like that. Just winners. He's number one. And winners this year. Um, he's him and him, 
yesterday was leader and t- t- today's tied with into mischief like into mischief got a winner last night or something so he, he's tied with with, with into mischief and winners so far in 2024 with 43 number six on the on the general arc sires list in earnings last year he finished three in winners and was a number 11 with over 11 million dollars in earnings last year he's got the consistent grinders right now the fast philly corningstone uh, third in the houston ladies classic and bay storms winning winning greatest stakes races and can't hurry love and Kimber- just a host of you know the, the their winners if you want to be in the winner circle you gotta you know either buy cantheros or breed to him it's, gr- it's a great way to Start a merit off that you that you that you're going to keep and breed breed time to get them a good start. In. Yeah, yeah. How about Loggins? Loggins, we're excited to to bring him in. He's mm-hmm. uh, you know he, he only had those two starts, but the, again they were they were special. He's a TD and Rising Star in his first start, just kind of blew everybody away in that first maiden special weight, and and in just his second start, he, he gave Champion Forte all he wanted in the in the Keeneland. Keeneland there in the Claiborne Beauties for Charity. We think he had grade one talent. Obviously, he showed it that day. He got the same speed figure as his forte in that race. And he's, um, again, he's, he's by Ghost Appart of a blame mare, and he's got the female family of Street Boss and Jack Christopher. He's out of a grade three winner. Um, I just saw him last, was it? Ten days ago, I watched him breed his first mare, and just he's 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 just a handsome horse, and he's he's, he's blossomed into uh, you know neck bowed and coming to the breeding shed. He, he was just uh, kind of blew me away. I hadn't seen him and seen him in a while, but prior to that, and he's just big handsome horse. He's uh, yeah. He's, uh, and then uh, yeah, it's it's great to see all the success that he is have. having, and and then you've got McLean's music too. We have four more to talk about. We've got about three and a half minutes left in this conversation yeah, before McLean's, I have to get to our next segment. McLean's music, though, man, whoo, love him. He's got he's a he he's a he, he gets just elite runners. He's got, you know, he's a sire of Jackie's warrior. Clock computing was his his classic winner in his first crop. Great one winner drained the clock. Complexity. They're the, they're fast and, and and talented horses. He gets them every year, and he's got um, 400 of his breastbed mares to date hitting the track in the next book of mares hitting the track in the next two years. So there's there's lots to to be excited about coming down the park. A lot of a lot of the top top eyes and eyes and uh, picking out horses have, have bought his yearlings. They've sold really well in the last last year or so. Dutro's got the Dutro's El Capi had the I think it was one of the top buyer speed figures for a two-year-old last year. Got a 99. I think he's he's on the shelf for a little bit right now, but he's going to be back, uh, I think they said early spring, late summer. So lots to look forward to with McLean's music coming on the pipe. Yeah, time to talk about one more of the final three. Midnight Loot, Violence, World of Trouble. Where do you want to go? Midnight Loot's the champion of violence. Violence has got new grain coming down it's going to make his next start in the San Indian handicap on a stepping stone for the Dubai World Cup. He's number seven on the General Sires list last year, and he's got four sons at Stud, Volatile, Forte, Dr. Shivel, no parole. He just gets a, he gets he gets a brilliant runner. I mean, they're, they're beautiful, they're beautiful individuals. He stamps himself. He, he's a beautiful individual, and they're just he gets he gets a very talented speed horse. 
That's the roster at Hillendale. And if you want to learn more, we kind of skimmed through some of the highlights for those stallions. Go to hillanddalefarms.com. That's hill, the letter N, dalefarms.com. And you can uh, check out the full roster, read more about each of those stallions, and contact Jared and the team to book your mare today. Jared, I really appreciate it, my friend. And, again, our our Kentucky Derby countdown shows during Derby Week will be sponsored by Hillendale to Lapa. And can't thank you and John and the team enough for all your support year in and year out. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys for helping spread the road here and uh, be excited to, excited to talk to you guys later down the road. All right, buddy. Appreciate it. Jared Burdine from Hillendale here on HRRN. Coming up next, you're going to hear – my conversation with Steve Cohen, who is the Senior Vice President of Sports Programming with Sirius XM and a very passionate horse racing fan. You'll hear from him next. I think you'll really enjoy it right after your Legends of the Turf and this short commercial break. This is the story of a man who, by accomplishment, was the picture of a veritable giant on the palette of the world of thoroughbred racing. From modest beginnings in Pennsylvania to his death at the age of 86, he had experienced unparalleled success in both racing and breeding. The green and white silks of his stable were accountable for four Kentucky Derby winners. He was born December 12, 1859 in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, where in his early years he worked in steel mills and other industrial establishments. Recognizing very quickly that his future lay in other forms of human endeavor, so to speak, he heeded Horace Greeley's advice to head west to become part of our nation's then burgeoning westward expansion. He became both a prospector and a gold miner and in a relatively short period of time managed to accrue enough equity to head for the windy city on the banks of Lake Michigan, Chicago, where he began to invest in real estate. In 1898, at the age of 39, he acquired a small stable of horses as part of following a physician's advice to get out into the open air more extensively. The first horse he purchased was named Fair John, and that horse registered the first win for the soon-to-be-renowned stable at Harlem, Illinois, July 27, 1898. The best of his early stable of thoroughbreds was named Bad News, because it traveled so fast, of course, who was by Flying Dutchman out of black sleeves. The horse had been purchased as a three-year-old from, from Woodford and Buckner. In 1906, he bought a 335-acre tract of land in the bluegrass of Kentucky and expanded his interest into breeding. That farm eventually embraced some 1,500 acres and housed such prominent stallions as Helmet, Black Tony, North Star III, Black Servant, Bubbling Over, Burgo King, Balladeer, Bimlick, and Blue Larkspur. The name of the farm was Idle Hour Farm and spawned four homebred Kentucky Derby winners. Behave Yourself in 1921, Bubbling Over in 1926, Burgoo King in 1932, and Broker's Tip in 1933. The latter broke his maiden in that derby, winning that infamous stretch duel with head play. Other notables from a virtually endless list that came from the Idle Hour Farm just outside Lexington included Baba Kenny, Big Pebble, BMAC, and Busher. This gentleman accumulated enormous wealth from a variety of vocational interests, including Chicago real estate holdings, extensive newspaper interests, and the Beach Club Casino in Palm Beach, Florida. He was a man widely known for his charity and philanthropy with extensive involvement in projects such as orphanages and other worthy enterprises. 
Among his turf-related accomplishments were the development of the fairgrounds racetrack in New Orleans as a winter site for thoroughbred racing, and through his breeding stock was greatly responsible for the success of such subsequent luminaries of the world of racing as John W. Galbraith, Edward Morris, and movie mogul Louis B. Mayer. He died at the age of 86 on August 15, 1946, although the permanent influence of this octogenarian on the history and development of the American turf will always be indelibly emblazoned on its most glowing of pages. That man who made the green and white silks of the Idle Hour Farm, the stuff of which legends are made, was a true titan of the thoroughbred world, and his story is indeed a great moment in thoroughbred racing. He was Colonel E. R. Bradley. You're listening to HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race the Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the grade one champagne stakes with a 102 buyer. At three, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the grade two Pat Day Mile, the grade one Woody Stevens winning by 10 lengths and proved much the best in the grade one H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Shackleton, who still leads, here's Nero on the outside, and Animal Kingdom is pouncing late on the John Velasquez. It's now Animal Kingdom on the outside, who goes the lead for John Velasquez, and he's going clear by two lengths and running to the line. Animal Kingdom wins the derby. Nero in second. In third came Mucho Man. In fourth was Shackleford. And then Master of Hounds, Santiva, brilliant speed. And then Pants on Fire and dialed in, never got to them. It was Animal Kingdom for Graham Motion and John Velasquez, who took Derby, 137. Welcome back to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, with you as always on this Saturday morning. Looking forward to... To my next guest, and by the way, that was Animal Kingdom rolling to victory in the 2011 Kentucky Derby. Mark Johnson had the call for Churchill Downs, and thanks to my next guest, that incredible performance was also heard throughout North America on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. That was actually the first year Horse Racing Radio Network had the privilege of producing and broadcasting the Run for the Roses, and it led to what is now a 13-year relationship with the premier sports radio platform in the radio industry. Every day, tens of thousands of racing fans tune in to our HRN shows, along with a variety of other racing programs on SiriusXM. Steve Bick, Dave Johnson, Bill Finley, and myself are all part of a vision created by SiriusXM's longtime senior vice president of programming and passionate horse racing fan, Steve Cohen, who joins me now here on HRRN. Steve, good morning, and on behalf of the entire horse racing industry, let me say thank you for everything you've created, my friend. Oh, Mike, thank you for everything you do to to bring us all closer to the game. And, um, you know, it's it's just 
awesome that we've been able to do this. It was one of the one of the first things we we did when we when I got to Sirius X or Sirius in 2004 before it was Sirius XM. And um, yeah, I, I'm really proud of it. And I just think back to, I mean, horse racing and boxing were were sports that were first enjoyed on radio, you know, before the visuals of TV. And I always, you know, even back in my days at WFAN, and we play um, great moments in sports going into the top of the hour. We had some of the great horse races of all time, some of the great calls of all time. And, you know, there's just nothing like the thundering hooves coming down the stretch and hearing that on radio that, you know, just gives me goosebumps every time I, I hear that. Um, no matter what the race is. And so it's, it's really awesome, and, and it's amazing how far the sport has come in, uh, you know, in the 20 years that, that we've been programming at SiriusXM. I want to spend time talking about your career in radio, which, by the way, is going to lead to you receiving the prestigious Jeff Smullyan Award at the Barrett Sport Media Summit on March 14th. We'll talk more about that in just a minute, but... Let's start with Steve Cohen's love of racing. Steve, where did that all begin for you? Well, I always, I mean, look, growing up in the in the 70s, right, it, you know, Sports Illustrated was everything, and then you'd see these super horses, right, on on the cover of Sports Illustrated and Secretariat and, um, you know, Seattle Slough, and it just, it was just amazing. Um, I didn't grow up far from Yonkers Raceway. In fact, I'd, I'd sneak into Yonkers Raceway on Monday nights to see the concerts, and uh, and then I'd stay for the <laughs> for the racing. Of course, I couldn't wager. I didn't have any money to wager. Frankly, I was just a kid crawling under a fence back in those days. But I always loved it, and um, and, and so you know, it's always been a big event, the Triple Crown, and especially the Derby, right? And then the years that followed, the you know, British Cup, and 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 other important races. But, yeah, I've always been a, a big fan of, of, of horses and, and horse racing itself. I'm not a, not a huge harness guy. Uh, I got burned at Yonkers once I was of age and started to, <laughs> started to gamble. I, you know, I hit a big triple, and, uh, and they said the horse broke 10 feet before the finish line. I was like, uh, Michelle Lachance, I'll never forget your name, sir. I will never forget <laughs> your name. And, and I never bet on another harness race after that. But um, but I, I love the game. I just I really do, and um, yeah, I just I grew up with it, and then um, you know it, it, I, I I follow it pretty closely, and and now, and by the way, shout out to your sponsor, Twinspires. That is my app of choice to use for wagering. Um, I commend them for. At first, I was a little skittish about some recent changes they made to the app, but they're all for the better. I'm enjoying it very much. And um, and so shout out to your sponsor, Twin Spires. Uh, I know they appreciate you saying that. Are are you a pretty good handicapper? I don't. You know, I, yes, I think I'm pretty good. <laughs> but just like any other handicapper or any other fan of the sport, you know, you you get on a roll and then you can't pick any anything, right? And so um, the thing that that I've really enjoyed is. Um, you know, when COVID hit in March of 2020, <clears throat> my buddy would come over on Friday nights and uh, we'd watch games, listen to rock and roll music and, and drink adult beverages. 
Um, and so he comes to my house in, in late March and he's like, all right, there's no sports on TV other than horse racing. So download the twin spires app, downloaded it and away we went. And then every Friday night since then, whenever we get together, we play the horses. And with that, I love the tracks around the country. I get excited for the West Coast races at Del Mar, Santa Anita, and then that gets me into the East Coast tracks at Penn. And and then, of course, Charlestown, which apparently is the track I bet on most this past year, according to my Twin Spires account, <laughs> <laughs> the bull ring. And, um, but, it, it you know, you have your favorites. Canterbury is a favorite of mine once the weather uh, turns warmer in, in Minnesota. And I get to hear the great Paul Allen, uh, who was one of our original hosts on NFL radio and, of course, the voice of the Vikings. He, he does a magnificent job calling races for Canterbury. Um, and, yeah, you know, Oak Lawn right now. And um, I just I really enjoy it. And um, and it's a lot of fun. And it's, as you know, very different and handicapping differently for different tracks and, and, and stuff of that nature. It's, it's always a, a great challenge. You mentioned Paul Allen and NFL Radio, which is part of that SiriusXM sports platform that you have you have engineered uh, over the past twenty years or so, and grown and developed. and And in the beginning of the conversation, Steve, I mentioned that horse racing fans across North America have you to thank for putting racing out there on radio. But it's it's not just horse racing fans; it's it's fans of all sports. So talk about the platform on SiriusXM and what your focus and vision has been as you've continued to build this platform. Yeah, I, I think it, you know, it starts with the idea that um, we want to be the first to bring fans of different sports, everything they could possibly want. Right. So, you know, when I first started in, in, in 2004, um, I was always friendly with Dave Johnson opportunity uh, came up to bring Dave Johnson and, and Bill Finley and um, and Ed Pappas and, and their crew over to do down the stretch every Saturday morning. And that's been a mainstay ever since I've been there and was really you know quite proud. And then we won an Eclipse Award one year as well. Um, but with that said, um, you know, we tried some different things over the years in terms of boxing with PBC and um, we created some great programming and some great fights of, and, but it just wasn't to be. It's very hard doing business with the boxing folks where you're actually producing the content. Um, but with that said, we still have boxing programming on, on SiriusXM um, at the fights with with uh, Randy Gordon and, and, and Jerry Cooney. So now we have, you know, when I first got to Sirius, we started NFL Radio. That was my the first thing that I did. And then NASCAR they heard what we were doing on NFL. NASCAR was on XM. We were serious, of course. Uh, they wanted us to create a NASCAR channel similar to the um, NFL channel, and we went ahead and did that. And um, I'm quite proud of what we've been able to produce. And then, you know, we merged, and, and, and MLB Network Radio became part of what we did, and PGA Tour Radio, and we've always been big on the soccer, right? We, we've been doing soccer forever and, and Sirius XM FC channel is, is terrific, but um, even more importantly, it's about the games. It's about the matches. It's about the races. And we have all the IndyCar, F1, NASCAR, 
Um, and we have every game you would want. And when I say doing things that people have never done before, we were the first to air every NCAA men's basketball tournament game. Then we became the first to air every NCAA women's tournament basketball game. And so on and on and on, every baseball game, every football game, every college football game, um, you know, pro football, college football, hockey, NBA, um, and all that. And I think in recent years, um, we've done a great job of airing more HBCU um, college games and, and, and women's games, um, everything from volleyball to, you know, college basketball and, and all that. And, and hopefully one day the NBA will commit to a terrestrial radio package for the WNBA, and then we'd air more of those games. Right now all we can get is a, is a TV feed because people other than the Aces aren't producing terrestrial radio feeds uh, of women's basketball. Hey, maybe that changes when Caitlin Clark gets into the WNBA. I don't know. Uh, I hope it does. But we've grown, and, and it's all about, you know, to quote Ray Davies, you know, give the people what they want, and that's what we've always done and, and strive to do all the years that I was at Sirius uh, XM. As a big fan of golf, one of my favorite sports channels is the PGA channel, and getting a chance to listen to – different tour events on the radio and people say wait a minute i can't even watch golf on tv how are you going to listen to it on radio how can that be exciting but steve as a radio guy you will know that radio is all about theater of the mind and painting the picture through words and i think that the golf broadcasters have that opportunity to do it as much as anybody and i think they're brilliant at what they do and i love listening to golf tournaments on sirius xm Oh, thanks, Mike. I mean, our team does a great job. Jeremy Davis and Taylor Zarzer, Justin Ware. Um, You know, they're the backbone of what we do on PGA Tour Radio. And the the announcers are terrific. The hosts are terrific. They have a passion for the game. And um, and, and, and we we just really do a great job with it. And you're right. It is theater of the mind. Anybody that's listened to or master's coverage, I mean, you're going to be blown away. And, and you hear, you know, the birds chirping. The only thing you don't hear are the azaleas breathing. <laughs> you can't <laughs> do that on, you know, you kind of do it on TV when you show all these great close-ups and Jim Nance welcoming all of his friends in. Um, but, um, no, we're really proud of it, and, and we think we provide a great service um, to golf fans and, uh, and, and for those who enjoy playing the game. Visiting with longtime senior vice president of programming, Steve Cohen, here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Steve, let's talk about the Jeff Smullyan Award that you will receive on March 14th. It's, a, it's an award that is named in honor of the man who founded the sports radio format. And so many people enjoy sports talk on various platforms today, including Sirius XM, as we've talked about. But he's also the man who signed your first paycheck about three and a half decades ago when you started on radio. This is incredible. Yeah, it's a great, great, great honor. And um, I was blown away um, when I found out that I was receiving it this year. And, and I'm so excited. And and I just think of, um, you know, first and foremost, to receive an award from someone that you have the highest regard for, the most respect for. And you think about taking, you know, as an original at WFAN, just taking his vision and, and bringing it to fruition in, in a successful manner is amazing just to think about that. And now he's given me the award. <laughs> and, you know, 
I'd say seven years ago, I hadn't seen Jeff. So I ran into Jeff at the college football national championship game. It was at the ESPN tailgate party. And I went over to him and I said, hey, Jeff, I don't know if you know, remember me. or and, and I shook his hand. He's like, not only do I remember you, he's like, but I've been following your career and I'm really proud of what you achieved. Well, oh, my God. It's like, thank you so much. It's, you know, I, I can't believe it. Um, but, you know, Jeff gave us all the tools that we needed to be successful. And I think one of the things um, – that I'm going to mention in the speech is, um, and Jeff reiterated this um, a year ago when he went into the Radio Hall of Fame. You know, as managers, we're tasked with um, with the job of making those who work with us and for us better at what they do. And I think that's something that's lost on a lot of people, as we all try to do our jobs the best way we can. Um, you know, nobody comes to you as a finished product right and it's our jobs to help make them better and to collaborate with them on things that'll make them better and you know spitball ideas and all those things so that's really important but um you know the thing um i I, that it's this award has has forced me to think back on are who are the people that really um made me better that that I enjoy doing things with. And, and when I give my speech, I won't be mentioning any hosts. I'm going to mention the, the support team, the people that inspired me, that gave me the ideas, that taught me how to manage. And by the way, some of those people include NFL people, um, both who are still with us and, and, and have gone on. Um, so I think you know, if you're smart and you're a manager and you're a creator and a builder, that that all aspects of life play into who you become as as a manager and and um, a collaborator. Um, I think those people who come into the meeting thinking they have all the answers are doomed to fail. Um, so you have to have be very open-minded in anything you do and. And over the years, we've had to reinvent ourselves, of course, with, you know, when COVID hit, what, what do we do, right? What do we do? Well, we hearken back to our days as, as, as early radio pioneers, and, and you think of what's most important. What do people want, right? And, and I think that's lost on a lot of programmers. Um, but with that said, we had an amazing leadership team at Sirius XM back then that gave us what we needed um, to um, create remote studio producers where producers had never remotely produced. They always had to be in the studio. And now we're able to board up remotely, produce remotely. Hosts mostly have been remote. Um, And it allowed us to create the kind of content that was very well received during those very, very difficult months and, and years uh, of COVID. Yeah, technology has certainly made everything easier in the radio broadcast industry, no doubt about it. Steve, what does the future hold? What's the next chapter now for sports programming on Sirius XM? Well, I think for Sirius XM, you know, we'll continue to do what, what you know, what we've been doing and giving 
fans the ultimate sports radio all in one package, right? And, you know, I I was reading about this recent TV deal, this bundle deal that's being done, streaming with all the games and stuff. And I'm saying to myself, my God, why hasn't Sirius XM ever marketed the fact that we have everything already? I mean, everybody's, you know, excited about this new thing. It was groundbreaking. Yeah, but we've been doing that for over 20 years. We have all that stuff already, and it's one monthly fee, right? You want it on, you know, a little bit more if you want the app as well. But we've already had that. So I think we'll continue to do that as, you know, I leave at the end of the month and, you know, Eric Spitz has taken over as the SVP, and, um, and I'll move on to some other, other things. And, and for me personally, it's just about taking on some challenges that things I haven't done that I'm excited about doing. And, um, you know, I think when you're doing sports talk radio for 37 years, it's, there's, a, there's a great sense of urgency in terms of how you create the programming. It's the here, it's the now, it's the today, it's the advancing of stories, because whatever we do today is going to be outdated tomorrow. Um, so now I'm kind of looking to do some things that might be a bit more thoughtful that I can put, um, you know, that I can make up my mind and change my mind and then add to it and, and all that. And so I'm excited to, you know, for the, for the things that, that lie in my future. And, um, yeah, it's just, um, you know, I think WFAN, Sirius XM, Westwood One, um, all the folks who I've, I've worked with and for, um, they've been great. And, and so now I think my, my trek will take me a bit away from radio into some other things, but I'm, I'm really excited for what the future holds. Any chance that future might include racehorse ownership? <laughs> yeah, I think, <laughs> I, you know, it's something my buddy Rick Wolf and I have talked about. Um, you know, he's a, an avid um, uh, fan of, of the ponies. And so, yeah, we talked about maybe one day we, you know, we invest in a hoof or a leg uh, and in a New York state bred horse and watch that horse run at Saratoga as part of my annual pilgrimage to Saratoga. And by the way, it's going to be a really exciting year now that we, you know, the Belmont's going to be there and, and, and all that. And um, so I'll be making multiple trips uh, up to Saratoga and uh, yeah, so we'll see. But um, yeah, I think it's something that I'd be interested in doing just from a race fan standpoint to be able to, to uh, wager on a horse that 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 you uh, have part ownership in, so yeah, I, I think that's something I'd enjoy, Mike. Well, Steve, as I mentioned, tens of thousands of racing fans in all over the world have you to thank for what you have created and built, not just for racing but for the sports world on Sirius XM. And congratulations on your well-deserved award and all the best in the future. And again, on behalf of the industry and me personally, thank you for for everything you've done. Uh, with us here on the Horse Racing Radio Network to support us over the years and and uh, to support the industry as well. Well, thank you. It means a lot, Mike. But but more importantly, thank you for everything that you do uh, to grow the game and to create great programming that's available anywhere uh, you want it here uh, in the United States. And I've been so blessed, you know, with 
um, being um, your friend and um, remember when John Parada first came aboard and, yeah. um, and then he left when, when the short-lived HBO show Luck came on, which I loved. That first season was outstanding, yep. uh, but then they shut it down, you know, and, and I was very sad about that. And when John left, he, um, he had Steve Bick take over. The show and Steve continues to do great programming on Sirius XM. So between, you know, the Mike Pennas of the world, the Steve Bicks of the world, the John Paradas of the world, the Dave Johnsons of the world, and the Bill Finleys of the world, um, I'm really proud of what we've been able to create, maintain, and, and continue to produce for our subscribers. I, I can't thank you enough, Mike. Steve, all the best in the new chapter, my friend. Thanks, Mike. Uh, we'll talk soon, and thank you for everything you do. All right, Steve Cohen, what a fantastic visit. My thanks to Steve for taking time and to enlighten you on how this entire platform came about with SiriusXM. And I know that so many of you now get to enjoy the programming that's provided um, week in and week out. And wow, what a visit. When I come back, it is time for this week's edition of Calling All Three-Year-Olds presented by Spendthrift. And then I'll get you ready for hour number two. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. The National HBPA is continuously working to protect the health and welfare of horses by advocating and funding research to help reduce equine injuries, lobbying for a national testing lab to oversee and establish absolute uniform laboratory protocols, advocating for every track to undergo an annual independent surface assessment, passionately supporting off-the-track thoroughbred retirement facilities and adoption groups, and so much more. See additional HBPA initiatives at nationalhbpa.com. Fans make plan to join us for great racing and good times this weekend at Spectacular Santa Anita. And don't forget, one of the biggest days on the racing calendar is now just one week away, Saturday, March 2nd. Be a part of history as the 87th running of the Grade 1 Santa Anita Handicap will highlight a tremendous card that will also include one of America's most important derby preps, the $300,000 San Felipe, as well as the Grade 1 Kilroll Mile on Turf and much more. That's all on Santa Anita Handicap. Day next Saturday, March 2nd. Our main event this Saturday is the Grade 3 Santa Ana Stakes for Phillies and Mares at a mile and one quarter on turf. Fans, every weekend you can play the $1 Coast to Coast Pick 5. It's a player-friendly wager with a low 15% takeout that combines a series of five races between Gulfstream Park and Santa Anita. Fans, don't forget, each Friday we offer free admission and parking as well as $3 beers and $5 margaritas. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your Social Security number or other personal information and tell you that your Social Security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your Social Security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information, or instant payment email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at OIG 
www.ssa.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Thursday evenings, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern, is the brisnet.com call-in show. It's your chance to call in and let the horse racing radio nation know what's on your mind. Call us at 888-966-HRRN. That's 888-966-4776. And discuss the topics you choose in the world of thoroughbred racing. The brisnet.com call-in show. Sirius 162, XM207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. They're all in line. And they're off. Spendthrift Farm presents Calling All Three-Year-Olds with Bobby Newman. There were three stakes last weekend that were points qualifiers toward the Kentucky Derby, and the biggest one was the Grade 2 Risen Star at Fairgrounds. A talented full field caught a sloppy track for the nine furlong test, and it was post-time favorite Sierra Leone closing from far back to get up and win by a half a length over the pace setter Track Phantom. Sierra Leone earned 50 points with the win, basically assuring himself a spot in the Kentucky Derby. At Sunland Park, the Grade 3 Sunland Park Derby figured to be a showdown between two shippers, Phil D'Amato's Stronghold and Steve Asmussen's Informed Patriot. In the end, it was Stronghold who got the perfect pace-pressing trip under Antonio Frazu before drawing away to win by two and a half lengths and earning the 20 derby points. And in Japan, Ramjet closed from far back at the top of the stretch to win going away in Tokyo's Hyacinth Stakes. He looks like he can run all day and is currently the leader on Japan's road to the Kentucky Derby. One major three-year-old stake this weekend, and it's a big one, the Grade 2 Rebel at Oaklawn Park. $1.25 million on the line and 50 points to the winner. Grade 1 winner Timberlake hasn't run since finishing fourth in last year's Breeders' Cup Juvenile. He leads a field of 13 that includes up-and-comers Carbone, Laganos, Just Steel, and Time for Truth. I'll be back with this week's top five list right after this word from Spendthrift. Cyberknife was a very talented horse from day one. Fast horse, able to carry it around two turns. Looks a tremendous amount like Gunrunner, same ability and talent. Holds the track record in the Haskell. He won it in impressive fashion, beating a very good group of horses. about him passing on his durability, his soundness, and his talent. He could definitely be a breach-shaping stallion. Multiple grade one winner Cyberknife standing at Spendthrift. This week's top five list of three-year-olds looks like this. Number five is Fierceness. The Breeders' Cup champ is really good at times, but he's hard to rely on. He's targeting the Florida Derby at Gulfstream on March 30th. Number four is Locked. The Pletcher trainee supposedly had a slight fever and missed some training and a scheduled start in the Sam Davis. He's now pointing for the Fountain of Youth at Gulfstream on March 2nd. Number three is Dornock. He was tenacious in his Remsen win and is also headed for the Fountain of Youth. Number two, Sierra Leone. Nice stretch run to capture the Risen Star. Next stop, the Bluegrass at Keeneland on April 6th. And number one is Nisos. The Baffert trainee is three for three and very likely the best three-year-old in the country so far. That's your Calling All Three-Year-Old segment presented by Spendthrift, the Breeders' Farm. 
and we continue to march toward the first Saturday in May, so much is going to change with that leaderboard over the next couple of months, and it will change after today's Rebel Stakes at Oaklawn as well. My thanks to Bobby and to Spendthrift for providing us with that segment you hear each and every week here on the Equine Forum. Hour two begins shortly. It begins with Nick Luck of NBC Sports and the Daily Podcast. He had a chance recently to catch up with owner Mike Rapoli and with Jockey Club chairman Stuart Janney. I'm going to ask him his thoughts and his takeaways on those conversations to begin hour two. You're going to hear from trainer Ken McPeak and from owner Rick Burnsworth talking about Uncaptured Storm, the recently named National Claiming Horse of the Year. All of that and much, much more is still ahead. Right after I pause 10 seconds for station identification, this is the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Welcome back to our number two of the Equine Forum, our two of three. If you missed any portion of the first hour of the show, simply head back to the website, horseracingradio.net. After we finish up at 11 o'clock Eastern, you can listen to the podcast there, and you can do it on every podcast platform. Plenty more to come over the course of the next two hours, including my conversation with Nick Luck here momentarily. You're going to hear from trainer Ken McPeak later in the second hour of the program and owner Rick Burnsworth as well. Hour three kicks off as it does every week with the Twin Spires triple play. James Scully will be with me at 10 o'clock Eastern to give you three races to keep an eye on later today. Kurt Becker's stroll through racing history comes your way at 1020. And at 1030, I ask, they answer with trainer Dale Romans and turf writer Tim Wilkin tackling some of the hottest topics in the sport today. So plenty of content to get to, including Nick Luck. And Nick is a familiar face to racing fans, working as an analyst on many of the horse racing telecasts produced by NBC Sports. He is also host of the Nick Luck Daily podcast, on which he has welcomed several industry guests, including owner Mike Rapoli and jockey club chairman Stuart Janney in recent episodes. In those conversations, he talked about a variety of different issues, and that is what led me to reach out to Nick and invite him to join me here on the program. And I am delighted to have him joining me on today's Equine Forum. Nick, really appreciate it, my friend. Thanks for taking some time. Great pleasure, as always. Thanks for having me. I also had the opportunity to visit with Mike Rapoli here on HRN in July of last year. He was accompanied by trainer Dale Romans for what turned out to be a passionate and fiery conversation about the industry, to say the least. Following your conversations with Mike and with Stuart Janney, what were some of your biggest takeaways? Well, that there is a huge battle of ideas for for how the sport should should move forward, and everybody's got a, a view. And I think the sport needs to be fortunate that yes, there are disagreements, but there are enough people who are passionate about it that want to make a difference. And hopefully, as we pick our way through this year and, and next year, we'll be clearer or we'll have a clearer idea particularly with the benefit of, of more unified regulatory uh, framework in, in the shape of HISA, we'll have a better and clearer idea of how, how we ought to move forward as a, as a sport. And I feel very privileged, really, to be able to welcome guests through this part of the, the podcast series, through these 12 episodes, one a month. Um, very privileged to be able to interview high-profile guests from, from the US. I have a huge passion for, for racing in, in America, as you know, but 
living living abroad, living in London, and spending a lot of time racing around the world, whether it's Australia, Hong Kong, Middle East, wherever, you, you're able just to have that like, half half step away, that little bit of detachment that sometimes enables you just to have a little bit more more clarity of thought. So no, it's been a it's been a really interesting project. Did you walk away from those conversations feeling inspired or discouraged about the future of the industry? Um, I mean, there are clearly a few um, issues that don't look like they're going to be resolved in a, in a hurry. I'd say, I, I think if you were to take the balance of the two interviews, you'd say you'd be more encouraged by the sports regulatory framework than you would have been two or three years ago. And it's interesting that both Ripoli and Janney, although, you know, in terms of in terms of the way they express themselves, in terms of their rhetoric, in terms of their their backgrounds, in terms of the way they approach the sport, although ostensibly they're very different, they do seem to you know, both be uh, big advocates of uh, of unified regulation and the way that that will will push the sport forward. So to that end, I didn't find it too depressing. I think in terms of governance, it's extremely difficult to see um, how the different jurisdictions are are really um, sharing a vision for the sport. You know, is what's good for the goose good for the gander? Is what's good in New York good in Kentucky, good in California? And um, do, 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 do Kentucky and New York, for example, realise that the the sport is as a whole is greater than the sum of its parts? Or do they feel that, you know, protectionist policies and um, are, are, are more likely to, to garner more money for them in the short to medium term and, and, and that will therefore ensure the, the better health of the sport. So I think in terms of regulation, we're, we're in better shape. In terms of governance, I think there is some confusion. And in, in terms of vision and strategy, um, we, are, we are still somewhat lacking. And I guess really, I, I think Mike Rapoli has been criticised for lack of specificity in mm -hmm. terms of his goals. But really, I think what he's trying to do is to draw um, participants in the sport together to to thrash out some sort of clarity of vision and to make the sport more commercially viable. I think what underpins his complaint really is that the sport um, doesn't really know how to sell itself, doesn't really know how to maximise its, its commercial potential. Um, and I think that's very interesting. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because when Mike joined me last year, I pressed him a couple of times for solutions. He, I like Mike Rapoli, and Mike is very passionate, and I think his heart is in the right place. But when you listen to him and he gets worked up, and I think it sometimes gets lost in there when, when he starts getting very passionate about the game and speaks that way. But I pressed him for solutions, Nick, and there really weren't any there. But as you said, I think his main goal is to try to get as many – people in the industry together to have some mm. real conversations and hopefully from there come up with some solutions. Would you agree? Uh, yeah. And I think also to maybe, I mean, I don't want to speak for him here, but I think yeah. to shine a, to shine a light on some of what might appear to people fairly high up in the sport to be quite sensible. But when you, as I say, when you just take half a step back from it and look, look at it more, more in the round, you, you realize it's quite illogical. I mean, racing's, you know, a Byzantine and overcomplicated uh, sport in terms of its its structure and its management at the best of times. But you know, if if somebody just landed from Mars and realised uh, uh, how at cross purposes, you know, different racetracks, different bodies, different jurisdictions are talking, they'd think you were completely mad. And of course, that 
that then um, prejudices your chances of actually being being able to sell your sell your product, whether it's selling a television product or or or, or, or whatever, or to, to to key advertisers. It it, it it compromises the chances of you selling most effectively. Yeah, it, it we got we got you know, more more than one you know, network television uh, outfit showing horse racing now. In one respect, you can say competition is good, but if you're if you're trying to you know sell packages and link races and put series together, then you know that that makes life you know quite complex. Um, you know, and and that that's manifest that that sort of slightly illogical, um, disjointed approach is something that runs through the industry, not just in in the U.S. Believe me, but in in England and Ireland and right across the world. What were some of the primary um, issues that came up in your conversations that are pressing for the sport right now? Um, well, I, I think one thing that alarmed me somewhat in the in the Stuart Janney interview, um, and I think everyone would agree that the work that he's done on, on regulation is really important work, uh, and the passion that he's shown to... Um, root out cheats in the sport is something that that everybody would would welcome but one of the really th concerning things that came out of that was that you know we're still not entirely sure that uh that the mechanisms are are as robust and effective as they should be relative to how they were say before jason service and jorge navarro were caught yes we, we're all appreciating that you know heiser is a better system than what we had before um but can we be sure, for example, that if Stuart Janney's contention um, is correct about the difficulty to detect, say, microdosing EPO or uh, designer drugs, can can we be sure that that, that the testers are in front of the cheats? Uh, and I wasn't convinced by the end of the interview that they necessarily were. And I, I didn't. To be fair, I don't think he was dissembling. I just don't think he knew, don't think he knew the answer to that question. You know, hand on heart. Yeah, your your conversation with Stewart regarding maximum security and the fact that he finished first in the Derby in 2019, of course, was disqualified. But you asked him if he knew by then that Jason Service was one of the guys that was mm. routinely doping horses. And without hesitation, he replied, yes. And as I was watching, that took me back for a moment. But you maintained a pretty good poker face there. Were you as shocked with, with that definitive yes answer as, as I was? Uh, yeah, it's, it, there, there was some speculation on social media that this had all been prearranged and discussed beforehand. Now, I had had a five-minute conversation prior to the interview with Stuart, but we, we certainly, I certainly hadn't given him advance sight of any of the questions. And um, Mike would, would would tell you the same thing. You know, I, that's not the way I'd, I, I'd approach things. You know, yeah, yeah. What's this roughly about? What kind of stuff are we going to talk about? Well, that's fine, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to disclose every question that i want to answer and of course a lot of your questions are responsive to the answers that have gone before so you know it was something that that had been playing on my mind um and i had no idea what the answer genuinely would be uh, i was was i surprised no i don't suppose i was because if you're instrumental in in um giving the giving the investigators the leads then you know, it's probably fairly fairly likely they're going to come back to you with something. I just wasn't sure as, as to the timeline, to be honest. So I, you know, could have been two weeks after, could have been three weeks before, could have been three months before, could have been three months after. But um, I thought it was quite chilling, really, that that there were people high up in the industry that knew that that horse wasn't running clean, um, or that 
strongly suspected that horse wasn't running clean and yet were watching this play out on the biggest stage in front of a uh, you know television audience of somewhere between 18 and 20 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, then that big, begat a whole bunch of conspiracy theories about you know whether whether that then had any impact on on what happened subsequently. But you know, I, I would reject that. I think I would. I think I would reject that. I, I I'm not really a conspiracy theorist myself, Mike. I'm not going to start now. Yeah, yeah. Nick Luck joining me here on the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network, having visited with owner Mike Rapoli and Jockey Club Chairman Stuart Janney in recent episodes of his podcast. And uh, Nick, it, those conversations are much needed in our sport. You know, certainly we do the same here on HRN, but to be able to sit down with folks like that that are decision makers or people that are passionate about the game like Mike Rapoli is, who maybe isn't in the decision-making position that Stuart Janney is, but they come at it from different angles. And mm. I think trying to get them uh, together in the same room would be wonderful, but at least getting them in the same forum to have conversations is a step in the right direction. Do you agree? Yeah. And there is absolutely no doubt that for all that they're, you know, they're unlikely to be uh, going on vacation together this year, that they, they are listening to each other. Right. Um, and there's no doubt that, you know, say, you know, for argument's sake, d- debates around um, what Churchill are doing with the Derby or debates are, around what First are doing with racing in California, debates about, you know, what Belmont Park is going to look like for the customer when it when it reopens and whether there'll be a Breeders' Cup. All, all these debates, people are listening to each other, I think, and, and possibly listening to each other a bit more than they have done they have done in the past so it's got it's, it's got to be healthy I, I want i want this to be a productive exercise because like you i i love the sport really care about it yeah so having had those two conversations now where does nick luck see the sport going or maybe a better way to say that is is what are some of the the top tier issues that you feel after talking with both micropoli and Stuart janney need to be addressed Again, I, I I come back to it again. I think the sport is moving the same way in terms of regulation, but in terms of unification of governance, I think it is still it is still quite a way off. Um, and I think the sport the sport is too precariously placed to be as um, as self interested as it is. As I say, I I, I genuinely believe that, it, that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And I think the more the more fragmented it becomes, then uh, and and the less clear, unified, strategic vision there is, then the more it is compromised because it, it's simply not in a robust enough place either in terms of its um, its social license or people's perception of its integrity to be able to withstand internal governance fractures or uh, different or, or or significant philosophical differences into, as to how it should progress. Um, uh, and and I th- and I think that's the that's the key issue. You'd like to think that, and actually, Mike Rapoli and Stuart Janney pointed this out. You'd like to think that the spirit behind Heiser, even though it is clearly not perfect yet, and Lisa Lazarus is going to be my next guest, the spirit behind it is the spirit that should inform the way that the sport moves forward, uh, and that is broadly one of cooperation. I mean, you're never going to please everybody. But at least if that's the spirit that you're entering into things with, you've got half a chance. Nick, how can people listen to the podcast? 
Uh, all, all good pos- podcast platforms, um, Mike. So, yeah, um, Spotify, Apple, and just about everywhere else. Uh, and, of course, they can listen through uh, In The Money Media. Pete uh, Forno Sal and uh, Jonathan Kinchin doing a great job helping us out as well, particularly with the uh, the video side of the this little U.S. project. Um, so, yeah, pretty much anywhere you get your podcast you will be able to you will be able to pick it up so uh, obviously i do a uh, a uk based uh, edition every every weekday and we do a little roundup on a saturday um that also has global news in it as well but it is uh, uk centric and then this this is a special series running 12 episodes through this year which we're uh, which we're putting out in the first week of every month so uh, we had mike and then Stuart, and then Lisa Lazarus next. And uh, I'm chatting to the guys at Churchill. Hopefully get somebody from Churchill on uh, in the run-up to the Derby. Do you ever worry about a conflict of interest with your role with NBC Sports? Uh, I would hope not. I mean, I'd, I'd hope that I'd be able to ask anybody um, anybody, any, any question, really, yeah. and that they would realize that I was doing that completely impartially. Um you know, I, I and I try and recognise the fact that when, if I'm talking about TV matters, then clearly I have a I have a, a vested interest. But I always try and talk about those in terms of, you know, what, uh, you, you from a, from a sort of wider standpoint rather than the, the specifics of, of editorial or anything like that. You yeah. Know, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it makes as sense. A, as, as I say, the, the sports the sports lucky to have. Uh, significant network broadcasters who who want to show their bigger their big events. Nick, I really appreciate the conversation here this morning. We enjoy watching you on TV and, uh, of course, listening to the podcast as well. Keep up the wonderful work, and I'm sure we'll catch up again down the road, my friend. All right, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. All right, safe travels. That is Nick Luck here on HRRN, looking back on his conversations with Mike Rapoli, with Stuart Janney, and sharing his thoughts on some of his top takeaways from those two conversations. When I come back, it is time for this week's edition of Kentucky Bread. We'll get a chance to talk with Louisville native Phil Bauer, and you're going to hear from trainer Ken McPeak. That's all ahead. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Fans make plan to join us for great racing and good times this weekend at spectacular Santa Anita. And don't forget, one of the biggest days on the racing calendar is now just one week away, Saturday, March 2nd. Be a part of history as the 87th running of the Great One Santa Anita Handicap will highlight a tremendous card that will also include one of America's most important derby preps, the $300,000 San Felipe, as well as the Great One Kilroy Mile on Turf and much more. That's all on Santa Anita Handicap. Day next Saturday, March 2nd. Our main event this Saturday is the Grade 3 Santa Ana Stakes for Phillies and Mares at a mile and one quarter on turf. Fans, every weekend you can play the $1 Coast to Coast Pick 5. It's a player friendly wager with a low 15% takeout that combines a series of five races between Gulfstream Park and Santa Anita. Fans, don't forget, each Friday we offer free admission and parking as well as $3 beers and $5 margaritas. 
You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Here comes Denim and Pearls to challenge Tappet Alley. Neon Beach sent hard between them, and those three are across the track, battling as they come off the turn. Band of Gold trying to get into it. She's fourth four behind. Denim and Pearls asked for her best and kicks on to the lead. She opens up a length and a half, and second Tappet Alley. Neon Beach between them. Band of Gold continues to come charging, and here's Band of Gold for the upset. Band of Gold and Brian Hernandez Jr to the lead, soaring away to win the Martha Washington Stakes. Denim and Pearl's second home, Neon Beach in Tapichet Alley were next. Matt Dinnerman with the call of the Martha Washington won by Band of Gold, trained by Ken McPeak. We'll see her again later today in the Honeybee, one of several horses Kenny is going to be saddling, including two in the Rebel Stakes at Oaklawn this afternoon. Bobby Newman had a chance to catch up with Ken McPeak yesterday on our betting with Bobby show here on the network. You're going to hear that interview in just a couple of moments, but it is time now for this week's edition of Kentucky bread presented every week by the Kentucky thoroughbred development and breeders incentive funds. Awards up to $3,000 a race are available from the Kentucky Breeders Incentive Fund for winning an allowance or maiden special weight race anywhere in the USA or at Woodbine Racetrack. And that's not all. Awards up to $4,000 are available for winning a non-graded stakes anywhere in the USA or at Woodbine. And that is just the tip of the iceberg. I'll tell you about more lucrative awards after this visit with today's Kentucky bred guest, Louisville native and multiple graded stakes winning trainer, Phil Bauer. Phil, appreciate the time, my friend. Great. Thanks for having me on. Um, it's um, certainly, I think, the state's headed in the right direction. My goodness, so many lucrative incentives for folks that race and breed in the bluegrass. For you, being a Louisville native, it has to be extra special to see the way that the state and the, the program has developed over the years. Absolutely. It's been fun to see, and um, it, I think it's brought um, the level of competition to the top as well to, to, to match those, you know, historically, I guess, New York and, and whatnot. But I think the Kentucky circuit, um, being a part of it for about 10 years now on my own with Mr. Rigney, that, you know, it's it's, in our opinion, probably the best in the country. How much has the program changed since you first got involved in training? You know, I think it's it's um, obviously the money's there now. So if kind of if you offer it, people are going to come, and and that's that's what it seems to be. Um, you know, racing at, at, at the cert, top circuits there, and now even the summer and, and winter. Um, meets have have brought, elevated their their level of competition and it just seems to be a, a nice year-round uh location for people that they want to leave their tech here year-round they they can really take advantage of, of these great purses you have decided to stable in kentucky in louisville the past couple of winters uh in the past would you have done that if the money in kentucky wasn't so good uh, I don't think necessarily. You know, I think our situation is a little unique that we we tend to um, try and give some horses some breathers over the winter and run hard 
at the major meets of Churchill and Keeneland, and um, then we um, kind of placed Saratoga right in the middle of those. So at some point with with a, with a private outfit, you know, we're limited on horse numbers, so we have to kind of back off and, and choose a time. So I think the winner ends up being it, but certainly um, not afraid to participate at Turfway when when necessary. And um, it's, um, you know, home, there's no place like it. So it's nice that they've left the training facility open that wasn't available a few years back, and we can keep some horses going that need to. When you sit down with the Rigneys to map out a schedule for any of their horses, how in, how important is it to have the Kentucky races included in that program? You know, it's our focal point, so it, it's everything to us. It's, you know, um, we our goal is to compete for the, the owner's title at, at, at the major meets, and we've been fortunate enough to um, – succeeded that a few times in the last few years but it's definitely what what we gear towards and um to it's kind of like a cherry on top with these purses it's just um you know it's hard enough to win in this game so when you can run second and third with those those big amounts it 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 adds up and it really helps keep keep our heads above water so you're you're always getting we call it mailbox money and it's it's always fun to um kind of get an added bonus that you're really not paying much attention to as far as when you're in the thick of the battle. But then, then when you realize at the end of the year, you, you kind of review it with the financials and see this added money. It, it, it certainly helps, um, an outfit like ours where everything's coming from, from one guy. And, um, you know, it, it echoes all the way to the, the breeding farms with where he has his mares and, you know, those even horses you take to market, it can come around and, and be beneficial. So it's it's nice, and uh, you kind of uh, wear a, a pride cap around when you you can say that you bred bred a winner or, or own a winner, and it, there's added bonus. Phil, I'm so thrilled for all your success. Keep it rolling here in 2024, and I really appreciate you being this week's guest on Kentucky Bread. Kentucky Bread is is kind of our focal point, and fortunate enough to be one myself thanks for having me on thanks buddy join me next saturday here on the equine forum for another edition of kentucky bread presented by the kentucky thoroughbred development and breeders incentive funds providing awards up to five thousand and seventy five hundred dollars for winning a grade one grade two or grade three race anywhere in the usa and in multiple countries and awards of two hundred thousand dollars allocated to the top 20 claiming horses in kentucky with the most claiming wins in the bluegrass state breed them Raise them, race them, we all win with Kentucky Breads. Well, Phil Bauer certainly loves racing and competing in the Bluegrass State, as does Ken McPeak, and he is going to be very active later today at Oaklawn Park. Several horses slated to run in those stakes races on a huge, huge day in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Yesterday, he took time to visit with our Bobby Newman on our Friday afternoon betting with Bobby show pleased to be joined now by a gentleman who'd love to be in the winner's circle following tomorrow's edition of the rebel trainer Kenny McBeak Ken thanks for so much for taking the time my pleasure first of all Ken want to congratulate you on your 2000th win I did not realize you were that close to a milestone did you know that you it was upon you when you got to it at Turfway Park the other night 
Yeah, a lot of people have been tracking it. You didn't realize I was that old either, did you? <laughs> I didn't say that, so, buddy. Uh, I didn't say that. <laughs> I've been at it a while. You know, we've been just kind of grinding away. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice number. Um, I think there's a good possibility we could knock out 3000 before I hang it up. But um, we're, you know, just relishing the moment and going to keep rolling. Well, we, we certainly have been following you most of your career and obviously uh, very happy on your behalf that uh, you got to that milestone. And wishing you a lot of luck this weekend. It looks like you're going to have a lot of chances at Oaklawn Park. Seems like you got horses basically in almost every race that they're running on the Saturday card, including all three of the graded stakes, starting with the grade three honeybee, which goes as race number nine. Uh, you're going to saddle the second choice on the morning line, Band of Gold, who is coming off a nice win in the Martha Washington last time out. Yeah, really really pleased with um, her effort that last race. Um, I do think that that race somewhat set up for uh, looked to me like in the paddock when I was eyeballing the competition, a lot of them were sprinter types and she's a filly with a lot of leg to her. And, you know, Brian, as he's done so many times for me, bided his time and waited and made, made a big run late and, and she was able to scoop up the big prize. And, you know, this week, I think it's going to be a little more difficult. There's better fillies in there and, um, whether we get that kind of pace scenarios out of our control, but she's doing well. Well, Brian Hernandez Jr. rides Band of Gold for you in the Honey Bee. He's also going to ride one of your two runners in the Grade 3 Razorback, which goes as the 10th race tomorrow. You saddle both Frosted Departure with Ramon Vasquez up and Escapeologist, a long shot with Brian Hernandez aboard. Uh, Frosted Departure, I think, is a horse that's become a little bit of a fan favorite. He's only had 20 starts in his career, but it seems like he's been running for 10 years. Almost all of these big races over the last four or five years, it seems like Frosted Departure has been in or around them. How's he coming into the race? Well, he's coming into it great. You know, he seems to be a horse. If things go his way, then, then he's he's really good, and, and if they don't, then... Um, he's got to, you know, kind of folds up and he's got to go to the next one, but he's a lovely horse to be around. Um, he changed hands this past, uh, fall. Um, he was sold at auction. And then one of my other clients actually purchased the horse at auction and, uh, handed him right back to me. So that was nice. And, um, you know, we're, we're outside chance in that race with him. I mean, we actually have kind of the, the engine in the caboose and the frosted departures of the speed of the race. And, Escapeologist is the is the deep closer, so that'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. When you have these horses who have been running against allowance types recently, and looking at a graded stake like a Razorback, what goes into your decision to say, "Hey, you know, this is the time that we need to try the better company," or maybe we should hold back and wait for another allowance to fill? This race didn't come up very tough this year, in my opinion. It doesn't seem that there are a lot of big-time shippers coming in. I think the older horse division itself is a little diluted, and there's a lot of people in the race taking taking a shot. Um, you know, um, yeah, like, like I said, there's not, there's not a horse in the race that you would shiver in your shoes. So I do think it's wide open, and, you know, that's a lot, a lot of money there, $600,000 to um, turn your nose up at. And in, in, in some cases, it might be a really more of like a listed or even allowance type field. 
Uh, speaking of a lot of money, there's a whole lot of money on the line in the Grade 2 Rebel tomorrow at Oakland. Not only $1.25 million the purse, but a lot of Kentucky Derby qualifying points. The winner gets 50 points, which basically means that the winner of the Rebel will be guaranteed a spot first Saturday in May at Churchill Downs, if that's where they want to be. Big field of 13 in the Rebel, probably going to be a big favorite in Brad Cox's Timberlake. You've got a couple up-and-comers in Northern Flame and Common Defense. Starting with Northern Flame, he looked really good last time out over the track in an allowance race. Yeah, you know, he uh, he was able to have a nice, easy lead and then fought another horse off to the wire. But if he can tag that race back with another and maybe even a little more improvement, then he fits in there for sure. And, um, you know, this is a big, handsome colt. Um, he was sold in Saratoga and, and really, really on the physical. He's a lot of horse. So he's going to get a chance to prove himself. And then I've got another horse in there, Common Defense, that, ran in the slop last time and i originally was going to take him to kentucky and run him in the in the battaglia or the spiral because i do think he's got a turf kind of a turf move and a foot and pedigree because he's by caracani but um i decided to go ahead and give him another shot in the rebel off his last workout he worked super at the fairgrounds and i thought well okay you know he's probably deserving his chance and let's uh you know, give him one more dance, and we could always go back to the synthetic by running it in the spiral um, in March. Speaking with trainer Kenny McPeak, who just got his 2,000th lifetime training win uh, a few days ago. He's got several runners in the Saturday card at Oakland Park. You're also running one at Fairgrounds, and I know that you kind of shuttle back and forth between the two. How do you decide, when it, especially when it comes to these big three-year-old races, which of your horses is going to run where, whether they're going to stay at Oaklawns, go to the fairgrounds, vice versa, things like that? It's really difficult sometimes. Um, you know, um, historically, I, I was a Gulfstream Park trainer for, for decades. I mean, I spent most of my time in South Florida since probably the mid-'90s and, and really um, missed the weather to some extent. But logistically, it's a lot easier for me to rotate horses between Oakland to the fairgrounds, fairgrounds to Oakland, because it's not a terribly difficult ship for the horses. So, so um, you know, you, you work through the condition books and you try to figure out what works. Um, you know, Oakland's at a bit of an advantage because their purse structure is massive right now. Um, fairgrounds, I think it's one of the greatest tracks in, in America to train over, race over. Um, and we've made about an equal number of starts between the two tracks over the course of the winter, and I think that'll that'll probably play out about the same. We've got nice divisions at both, and like right now, I'm halfway through or halfway between the two, headed to Oakland for racing to this afternoon and tomorrow. Kenny, a horse that is notably missing from this year's Rebel is your trainee mystic dan who was so impressive in winning the southwest stakes last time out at oakland park uh where is he and how did you decide to skip the rebel with him he's at he's at the fairgrounds right now um he trained at the fairgrounds going into the southwest um his southwest race for me was just ultra impressive um 
you know, we knew he would fire a big shot, but he fired a huge one. And then, you know, he's a smaller horse. And um, I had run him back quick one other time, and it, and it knocked him back pretty good. He didn't handle the, the turnaround real fast. And he, he may have gone through some sort of virus or a small lung infection, but that uh, that didn't work coming back quickly. And in this case, we, we'd almost decided even before – we ran in the Southwest that we were going to skip the Rebel and wait for the Arkansas Derby. But this horse has got huge amount of talent, fantastic-minded, um, just a, a real classy colt to be around. And um, I think Arkansas Derby, you know, look, he's got to he's got to punch some points out. But um, I feel pretty confident he'll do it. Just waiting for Arkansas Derby. Well, Kenny, we really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a very busy man, and having to do that shuttling between fairgrounds and Oaklawn and vice versa is uh, uh, certainly not an easy thing to do, especially behind the wheel of a car. But we wish you the best of luck uh, with everyone you're running tomorrow at Oaklawn and hope to see you in Kentucky for Saturday in May. Sounds good. Hope I'm there. Up next, you'll hear the story of the National Claiming Horse of the Year from the man who owned that horse, then didn't own him, then owned him again, then didn't own him, and owned him again. It's a great story. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race the Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher, showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the Grade 1 Champagne Stakes with a 102 buyer. At 3, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the Grade 2 Pat Day Mile. The Grade 1 Woody Stevens, winning by 10 lengths, and proved much the best in the Grade 1 H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. The race is on at Sam Houston Race Park. Don't miss a minute of the action now through April with Thoroughbred Stakes Racing every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There's something different every weekend, including special events that are fun for the whole family. And of course, we're the place for live music and great drink specials every Friday, along with delicious dining and the best Sunday brunch around. So race in for all the excitement at Houston's best bet for fun and entertainment. Sam Houston Race Park. Visit SHRP.com for details. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Sustenance still the one to catch. Sustenance from Swifty, double length and a half, and tis no clown is next. They're followed by on the outside and captured Storm Dispute to claim is next as they swing for home, flattening out their Carvelian quest after a move into the stretch. Here comes Uncaptured Storm. Uncaptured Storm to the lead. Disputed claim out in the center of the track, chasing home gamely now, but it's Uncaptured Storm breaking away two and a half with a 16th left to go from Disputed Claim. Amity Road third, late run of the inside. John Hall from dead last, uncaptured storm, uncaptured storm, disputed claim, John Hall, Amity Road. 
Welcome back to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, getting ready to welcome my next guest. And you just heard the call of Uncaptured Storm winning the fourth race at Laurel, December 22nd of last year. Dave Rodman had the call. Uncaptured Storm named the claiming horse of the year this past week and owned by Rick Burnsworth. And Rick is nice enough to spend some time with me here now. Rick, you have a horse like this, Uncaptured Storm, who wins nine of 18 starts in a single season. I don't care what level you're competing at. That's incredible and a well-deserved honor. Congratulations. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. I just yeah. got goosebumps listening to that audio. <laughs> I believe um, it. I, you know, what, yeah. what's so special about Uncaptured Storm? What, what's the one thing that when you look at him and think about him, you say, boy, I love this horse because... Fierce competitor. Fierce competitor and loves what he does. I mean, loves what he does every day. Looks forward to it. And uh, sort of like me, because I enjoy what I do every day, you know. Blessed to be <laughs> able to. Yeah. So, yeah, he's he's quite, quite the athlete. How did so, you receive the news that he was going to be named Claiming Horse of the Year? Um, Eric called me from the NHPBA. Yep. And uh, floored me. I was like, man, starting from nothing and uh, been back in it a couple of years. And, you know, for this guy to do this and receive this honor, uh, you know, his sister, not blood sister, but barn sister, we're all family, so there's brother sister, <laughs> but divine fashion, she. Two weeks ago, we found out that she won the uh, tied for the wins for the United North America for 2023. Also, so it's pretty mind-boggling for starting from where we started to be honored like this. That's an it's an incredible honor, and Uncaptured Storm deserves all of the accolades that come his way after that tremendous season. I mentioned nine wins from 18 starts. Um, Rick, you mentioned the name Eric. That's Eric Hamelback, the CEO of the National HBPA. He joined me on this show last week, as a matter of fact, to talk about the claiming crown returning to Churchill Downs. Uh, and here you are with one of the, well, with the top claimer in the game from a year ago. You mentioned coming from where you were to get to this point. Where did your journey in racing begin? Uh, back in 2007, 8, 9, um, teamed up with a trainer out of Delaware and he's in Florida right now, Steve Claceris, uh, fantastic horseman, Lil, who worked with him, met him at Delaware and we got involved in, uh, a few horses and it grew into pushing 30. And then, uh, we were doing very, very well. And my youngest daughter, came down with leukemia and at that point nothing but her well-being meant too much to anybody but trying to get her better so i just slowly but surely backed out of the racing the horses got claimed gave a couple away you know et cetera, et cetera, and uh and concentrated on the most important thing in my life was her surviving um we lost her in 2011 didn't uh, 
then get back into it. Just uh, just didn't. And so two years ago, November, um, I'm coming through Charlestown, and Anthony Ferrier's sitting there, and he knew me, and I don't know if him, I'd, I'd pay attention to detail and everything that was on around me. And he was sitting there at the local tavern spot at the track or whatever, and I sat down next to him, and he goes, how come you don't have any horses? I said, you know, that's a good question. <laughs> he's, he said, well, why don't you? I said, well, I guess because you never ask me. And he starts laughing. He said, well, I'm asking. I said, well, let's go. <laughs> and we both laughed. And so uh, I called my daughter, oldest daughter that night, and uh, I said, Devin, what do you think? She said, Dad, Kelsey and I, we know the passion that we all have, you have for animals, and, you know, it was your passion then. We'd be real disappointed if you didn't do it again because it's something you love, it's something you need. Why don't you get the band back together? And the rest is history, as they say. And, uh, sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. (laughs) So, I was like, hell yeah. And we did. And Anthony and I teamed up and uh, had another gentleman, Jay Bernardini, who helps us out in Ohio, does a fantastic job. Um, huge horse lover himself, been in business for years, but Anthony and I have partnered up on everything, and uh, we've been very blessed and successful so far, and hopefully the ride continues. Well, nobody deserves to have a horse like Uncaptured Storm as much as you do, Rick, and I'm I'm so thankful that you took time to tell that story here on the show this morning and so thankful for all of your success that you have experienced. How many horses do you now have in training? Um, I would say pushing 50, Mike, because it could, it could go to 30, to 60, to 25, to 40, because you know, we're in the claiming game. And, uh, you know, but I would say consistently 40 in training and then uh, – when we're or on the upside, um, we have a farm that Anthony and I purchased outside of Charlestown, and we have got into some broodmares and some babies and some things there. So we have another group that's not in training, just on the farm. Tell me more about the the uncaptured storm story from a year ago you didn't own him for every start he was claimed several times and i mentioned those nine victories he changed hand hands five times he won at least one race for whomever he was he was running for that's that's incredible tell me his story from a year ago well we saw a nice opportunity of uh, uh a nice horse running for the right price and Again, it's the claiming game. That's what he won the claiming championship. And Anthony said, I think this would be a nice acquisition, and et cetera. And once we got him, we found out, you know, about not just his abilities, but, you know, his heart, his temperament, you know, uh, like I said, fierce competitor. And that's what, that's what we look for. 
you know, it doesn't always have to be about the most royally bred or the most uh, fastest uh, in the morning. It's got to be about, you know, you don't have to have the best football team. You just have the best competitors, you know, and, and we saw him as a competitor, and that's why we kept taking him back because, you know, he tries every day and loves what he does. Like I said, you going to show he, he just loves to run. You can't teach heart, right? Amen. You're right. That's yeah. exactly right, Mike. When he would be claimed from you last year, did you immediately go to Anthony and say, hey, we need to get this horse back next time or, or the next opportunity we get? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Was, you know, as long as uh, we saw the right opportunity come back and he was local, most definitely. How many pictures or memorabilia of uncaptured storm am I going to see if I were to walk into your home or your office or whatever the case might be? Well, I'm building a new man cave, <laughs> and <laughs> your left wall will be your uncaptured storm wall, Mike. Uh, <laughs> so if that gives you an idea, <laughs> that's going to be his wall. Uh, uh, it's fantastic. So that's uh, that's a for sure. <laughs> Rick, for for people that are listening to this and maybe they're thinking about getting involved in racing with owning some horses, you've obviously done it on the claiming side of things. And how do you? What advice do you give to people that are thinking about getting into the game? And and based on some of your experiences, um, what things would you recommend that they do in order to try to be successful? Um, find a person to team up with, such as uh, Steve Caceres, Jay Bernardini, Anthony Ferrier, of course. Um, somebody that has a passion for animals, which truly, in our industry, Mike, you've been around it a long time, there's not too many that don't. You know, you People aren't doing this because they don't love animals or they don't love getting up in the morning or they, you know what I mean? Um, but I would find somebody that matches you personality-wise and has your same same goals and wishes and um, and that's where the the charisma, the you know, mojo starts. You gotta have you gotta have the right team. You gotta have the right team. And then you can have the right results. Um, so that's what I've always been taught by my dad and uncles and everybody. Surround yourself with good people and good things are going to happen. No, they and, are uh, they are happening, Doug. And earlier you said that you know you you thoroughly enjoy being in the business and you enjoy what you do for a living as the president of Douglas Explosives, um, which is basically a company that includes blowing up rock formations for interstate construction and projects that require excavation. So you're used to blowing things up. What do you do to blow this up in 2024 with uncaptured storm? Um, keep them healthy and keep them happy. You know, if, uh, if he looks good, feels good, he's going to run good. And same thing with all of our animals, Mike. We let them tell us when they're ready to run. We don't tell them. Um, we paid meticulous attention uh, between. We got Derek and Cliffy, 
in West Virginia, Maryland, and Julian, Ohio, and they all know what we're looking for, and they all got the same goals as we do. Take care of the animals. They'll take care of us. Make sure we know they're telling us when they want to run. Um, you know, so to blow it up, we just hope we'll continue to be blessed and pick the right animals, and Uncaptured Storm will tell us when he's, what he wants to do. We're not going to tell him. Um, no, Rick, the, the, it's worked so far, <laughs> so we'll, we'll continue to roll with that. Yeah. If, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And Uncaptured right. Storm and you and all of his connections will be honored at the National HBPA Annual Conference, which is going to be held in Iowa at Prairie Meadows in July. So I know you'll be making a trip there, and um, I want to wish you all the best. And once again, congratulations on this tremendous honor. Well, you know how much I appreciate you having me on, and uh, and you're right. It is an honor, and I'll treat it that way. Keep it rolling, Rick. All the best in 2024. All right, buddy. Appreciate it. Rick Burnsworth here on the Equine Forum. What a visit, huh? An emotional Rick Burnsworth talking about the loss of his daughter to leukemia and then stepping away from the game for all those years and now deciding to get back in. A chance meeting with Anthony Ferrier gets back into the game, and here they are with the National Claiming Horse of the Year. It's a tremendous story, and congratulations to all of them and to all of the blue-collar, hard-working horses and connections in our sport, truly the backbone of thoroughbred racing. And um, my thanks to the National HBPA for making this award available each and every year. That's, that's special stuff. When I come back, I'll take a look at a few historical dates in racing history as they apply to this weekend, and I'll get you ready for our number three. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Woodford Feed, where tradition merges with technology. Family-owned since 1940 and providing exceptional customer service, Woodford Feed specializes in the highest quality feed, using only the finest ingredients to ensure optimal nutrition for your horses. In addition, Woodford Feed can help with all your farm needs, including field seed, fertilizer, and weed control. So whether your horse is sprinting around the racetrack or has a foal by her side, count on Woodford Feed to provide the quality nutrition necessary to perform at the highest level. Woodford Feed for Sales Kentucky. Retirement can be scary, but only if you're not prepared. That's why AARP created thisispretirement.org. Because unless you've already retired, you're in pretirement and you still have time to plan. Learn about retirement savings options, potential tax breaks, and how you can build savings over time. Visit thisispretirement.org for free resources to help you customize your action plan and feel the retirement fear disappear. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Want to get the latest HRRN content directly on your computer or mobile device? Then subscribe to our podcast using the Podbean app or Apple Podcasts. Just go to hrrn.podbean.com on your computer and click follow. Or download the Podbean app and search HRRN. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and listen to our latest episodes anytime. Don't miss a thing. Subscribe to our podcasts today. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. You know, that conversation with Rick in the previous segment really does sum up what this sport is all about. And he talked about and got very emotional, rightfully so, talking about the loss of his daughter, Kelsey, to leukemia and stepping away from the business, then getting back into it. And when he got back into it, he said there was only one set of racing silks that he was going to race in. And those silks have a 
a their blue silks with a white cross and as rick always says he says these are god's creatures and he's just letting me borrow them and that's something he's very passionate about he has established a initiative to help and assist families who are staying around the clock at hospitals to be with their critically ill children that initiative is called kelsey's angels and he is teamed with the North Mar Church in Warren, Ohio. If you want to learn more about helping and being part of that, it's a wonderful, wonderful cause. North Mar Church in Warren, Ohio. Contact them and ask about Kelsey's Angels, and you can get involved with helping Rick and his family um, support those families. Great, great stuff from Rick, and my thanks to him. All right, time to take a look at a historical date in racing history or two as it applies to this weekend in thoroughbred racing. And how about this? I told you about, uh, or we will tell you later, about trainer J.C. Williams and what he accomplished on this day in 1979, saddling eight winners in 12 attempts. I'm going to talk with Dale and Tim about that subject later in the third hour. Yesterday was the anniversary of seven-year-old Azucar, a former steeplechaser, winning the inaugural Santa Anita Handicap at Santa Anita Park. That happened February 23rd, 1935. And tomorrow, February 25th, 1999, was the day that jockey Robbie Davis got his 300th win aboard Inevitably Private in the fourth race at Gulfstream Park. Those are historical dates in racing history as they apply to this particular weekend. All right, two hours down, one to go on today's Equine Forum. When I come back, James Scully shares his thoughts on three races to watch later today in this week's Twin Spires Triple Play. Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history. And the final segment, Dale and Tim will be with me at 1030 Eastern to tackle some of the hottest topics in racing with I Ask, They Answer. If your local station is leaving us at this time, continue listening to hour number three nationwide on Sirius 162, XM 207 in the Louisville, Kentucky market on ESPN 680 or streaming at horseracingradio.net. Hour three of the Equine Forum is coming up next right after I pause. Ten seconds for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. But Curlin quickly, like a shot, open up a four-length lead. Officer Rock is going to make a run at him on the inside. It is Curlin under a hand ride. Robbie Alvarado finally asks him the little end. Curlin, very impressively, is going to take the Rebel by about five lengths. And Secret Oath comes to the final furlong now with a five-length advantage. Yuji Ree and Ice Orchid, this is another dominant performance for a budding superstar, Secret Oath to win the Honeybee. Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. With a rail-skimming ride by Brian Hernandez Jr. And Mystic Dan is turning it on in a huge effort for the Kenny McPete Ford. Mystic Dan, five, six ahead, and he wins wrapped up a dominant win in the Southwest. Nonetheless, Furlong, uncaptured Storm. Uncaptured Storm's grab Spear Gun to a narrow lead. Then it's Clubman in third. Maximum impacted Bobby G with a 16th left to go. Spear Gun's coming back for more. Uncaptured Storm. Uncaptured Storm. Uncaptured Storm Spear Gun. Now here's Mike Penna. 
Man, have I had fun for the first two hours of the program. Really looking forward to the third hour as well. Welcome back. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, with you on this Saturday morning. First two hours of the show included my conversations with Jared Burdine from Hillendale. That really fun visit with Steve Cohen from SiriusXM. Nick Luck talking about his conversations with Mike Rapoli and Stuart Janney. Got a chance to hear from Kenny McPeak and Rick Burnsworth as well, talking about the National Claiming Horse of the Year, Uncaptured Storm. If you missed any portion of the first two hours of the show, head back to the website, check out the podcast after we finish up at 11 a.m. Eastern, and you'll get a chance to listen to all of those conversations and much, much more on our website and on every podcast platform. Hour three begins in just a moment with the Twin Spires triple play. James Scully has three races to keep an eye on this afternoon. Kurt Becker's stroll through racing history comes your way at 1020 and at 1030. Dale and Tim will both be here to wrap up the show with I Ask, They Answer as we debate some of the hottest topics in the sport today. Three races to bet at Twin Spires this afternoon. James Scully has them for you right now. James, you've turned your attention to Oaklawn for this week's edition of the Triple Play. We're going to focus on races four, six, and nine, and it begins with that six furlong oh. sprint, which is a $150,000 allowance race, and uh, it is for the older horses. How'd you see race four at Oaklawn today, my friend? Yes, uh, attention on Oakland today. They, they they got that Rebel Stakes uh, going on for three-year-olds at the Derby uh, qualifier. But I'm going to focus on three other races on the undercard. In race four, six furlong entry-level allowance for four-year-olds and up. I think uh, a couple of the uh, short-priced horses on the morning line, I'll mention them, number two, Gunflash. He's 0, she, he's 0 for 4 with no first or seconds uh, at Oakland. I don't think he runs his best races there. And Unraptured. Uh, I'm a little dubious of him, like, carrying his form to dirt uh, from those synthetic races. His lone dirt win came over 40 claimers. I have landed in race four a number 11 favorite outlaw. Uh, he's the uh, 9-2 to two third choice on the morning line. And favorite outlaw is a horse who I think his speed should play extremely well in this race. Uh, this is a pretty – this is a full horse, full field of 12 horses in it, but there's not a ton of speed entered and uh outside posts have, have fared well in in six furlong sprints uh, as well uh, here of late so not worried about the draw the pace scenario one thing i like about favorite outlaw is that um, um after a freshening uh three starts back he came back at oakland park in early january and he led all the way in a uh, six furlong seventy five thousand dollar claiming race and uh was very you know, very smart performance, got a really big uh, 96 brisnet speed rating. He came back uh, 28 days later, and um, he caught just a, a speed-laden field, Mike, where he's dueling through 21-2 and two opening quarter mile. They were ripping and roaring. And that winner of that day, Secret Pocket, went last to first. Uh, the speed all sort of like gave way. They dueled each other into the ground. I'm not too worried about that performance for favorite outlaw because uh, prior to that race, he had had two previous unplaced efforts, and both time he rebounded with strong performances. And I'm going to look for him to do the same. Uh, uh, Chris Hartman has put Joseph Bamar on him, who's a, a seven-pound uh, apprentice jockey. But believe it or not, Bamar is three for four at Hart with Hartman at Oakland Park. I mean, Hartman, you know, the, the, 
his backers have been able to cash some nice tickets with this combination. Three of those four winners at Oakland this meet have paid it 13, more than $13. And while favorite outlaw might not be, may not yield that much, I'm going to look for a very, uh, a really big chance. The other thing I'll say, too, about that last race was that he had every chance until deep stretch, until the final furlong. So while he ran eighth that day, he still really ran, I thought, a, a, a respectable effort. Expecting a different pace scenario and a uh, a strong bounce back performance on the front end from uh, favorite outlaw in race four. And again, solid value to kick things off for James Scully nine to two on the morning line. James, I'm going to give you my Swami angle exacta, and I'll throw in a horse for a trifecta in here too. This is I, I did not handicap this race. I left that up to you, but for me, I'm going to take number three, Late Night Radio. Pair him with number six, Lake Radio. See, being a radio guy. Right, I had a chance yeah. to interview the senior vice president of sports programming, Steve Cohen, earlier in the show. So we're going to stick with the radio theme. And then I'll throw in a Swami Angle pick for the third spot for all the ACDC fans out there and go with number 12, Mr. Thunderstruck. <laughs> I like it. I love the uh, ACDC uh, inclusion in there. Uh, sounds good. Uh, yeah, race, our next race is race number five, Mike. Uh, we'll turn our attention to race number five. It's a uh, mile and a sixteenth maiden special weight for three-year-old fillies. Got it uh, at Oak- uh, today at Oakland, and this is a race where um, once again I think that the, uh, the the favorites on the morning line, the top three choices on the morning line, have been underwhelming, and I just can't support them at, at low odds. Uh, I, I'll just go to this uh, Brad Cox filly, an enigmatic, who's nine to five on the morning line. You know, she was eight to one uh, two starts back, and that she's she's never really been bet. Uh, got bet down a little bit last time in a, at a maiden special weight at Oakland, and she ran eighth. So I, I'm I'm thinking she might need like some class relief uh, to be the most effective. Uh, my favorite get, uh, girl is, is just got, comes off was pretty well beaten last time at thirty two to one, and she's three to one on the morning line today. Uh, this this race, the, the the horse I really like in here is number five, Pepper's Girlfriend. And admittedly, I think this will be an awfully like sentimental type uh, type deal when she wins this race today because uh, she's owned by to- uh, the late Toby Keith's Dreamwalk and Stay uh, Dreamwalk and Farms, and uh, you know that will be a big deal uh, to be able to w- when they get to celebrate in the winter circle. But in her career debut, uh, Pepper's Girlfriend is a three year old filly by Candy Rod. She debuted at Oakland Park on December 9th. And just missed the break, um, you know, was away last in, in, in our next to last in, in a 12-horse field. It was way far back, but she did uh, improve her positioning uh, going six furlongs that day in the stretch. Last time out, uh, she caught a pretty nice maiden race, much nicer maiden race than she's facing today. Uh, the winner of that race, Honor Cat, is in the Honeybee Stakes today. And she was even money in there, and she went wire to wire. But Pepper's girlfriend broke better in that last race. And, Mike, she was seventh going into the far turn and rallied through the turn to be a clear second in uh, turning for home and upper stretch. Uh, she got beat in the final, like, two jumps. Uh, the, the winner won by, like, five and five-and-a-half length. Uh, she got beat about a half length for second, Pepper's girlfriend did. I'm hoping that fifth uh, will dissuade voters from – I mean, betters – voters – betters from uh, <laughs> r- recognizing uh, what, a, what a strong performance that was. That was a really good, sneaky run by a, a Philly second time out, stretching out to a route, which she's clearly uh, bred to do. And – um 
and I'm going to look for her to improve upon that. I think that um, you know this is this 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 race is the kind of race where she's going to be able to get out. If she breaks like she did last time, Pepper's girlfriend, she's going to be able to set up positioning, uh, not far behind the leaders. And given the turn of foot she showed on the far turn last time, I look for her to come with a big run and prove best in race five, number five, Pepper's girlfriend. James, if you can get each of your three selections home on top in this week's Twin Spires Triple Play, you're going to get my vote for Handicapper of the Year. I'll tell you that. So uh, <laughs> let's see if Pepper's girlfriend can take home the top prize at 8-1 to one on the morning line. All right, race number nine is your final race you have selected for the Triple Play. It is the grade three honeybee for the three-year-old Phillies, mile and a 16th on that main track down there at Oaklawn, of course. Tell me more about the honeybee in your top selection. Brad Cox has the big favorite in both the Honeybee and the Rebel, and whereas Timberlake in today's Rebel, I mean, he he looks like he's could e- he could easily win that race, in my opinion. He's the horse of the beat. I think that West Omaha, uh, who's seven to five in this Honeybee, is uh, a little vulnerable, Mike, and I think it's a situation whereby when she got beat pretty handily by Alpine Princess in that untoppable stakes uh, two starts back, that was a six horse field, and, and the Phillies behind them just. Uh, you know, whether uh, Sistine Chapel has ranked third in, in both races that uh, West Omaha is exiting. And she scratched it out of, a, of an allowance last Saturday because they didn't want to run against uh, a Philly that would have beat her in there, uh, our pretty woman. So I'm a little bit dubious because, um, you know, last time in that Silver Bowl a day, she didn't have to beat face Alpine Princess, Tarifa intricate all the best fillies three-year-old fillies at fairgrounds this winter were basically in the rachel alexander last saturday but the silver bullet day and the untappable did not come up anywhere near as deep or as talented of those races and one thing about west omaha her speed numbers are far from overwhelming uh when horses you know have like speed ratings like she does and they're real short price i don't mind trying to beat them if there's a, a suitable uh horse that you know can get the job done and in this case i really like number one alice beach returning in that spot for tom amos as a matter of fact I believe that Alice Beach is point-blank receiving significant class relief in this spot today. And I'll just go over her three races last year. She debuted at Saratoga. She rallied off the pace to beat Life Talk who came back to right back to break her maiden impressively, uh, run well, uh, and then run fourth in the Raiders Cup Juvenile Philly and win the grade two Demoiselle by open lens. So she was a very good two-year-old last year. Her next start came in the spinaway, and she just didn't get away from the gate very well, was too far back, but she rallied past half the field to be fourth. And bright work in ways and means absolutely turned in a pair of brilliant performances that day. Uh, those two fillies, you know, to me, bright work just couldn't stretch out the two turns, but she was a brilliant one-turn performer last year. And ways and means, um, it was unfortunate she went on the shelf after the spinaway because her, like, 13-lift maiden win was one of the most impressive maiden wins you'll ever see it from a two-year-old at Saratoga. So I just thought that spinaway was extremely deep. And the Alcibiades, after not breaking well, she drew an inside post in there, and she showed speed. And that was on the opening day of Keeneland last year in October. They had a maiden race, Mike, in race two that day that was won by some huge favorite for Wesley Ward, uh, uh, you know, that was a big favorite and led all the way. But the other um, uh, nine races on that program were all won from off the pace. 
I mean, that was one day last fall where speed did not thrive at Keeneland. Uh, and, um, you know, Alice Beach, she's out there on the lead showing the way. She caught some pressure down the back stretch, and I thought she held pretty well to be third against Candied, who came back and ran third in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, and Vivi's Dream, who was just a really good two-year-old last year. Uh, she didn't run well in her return, but – uh, she was just really in good form last year for Kenny May Peak, Vivi's Dream. So I, I thought that was a really good third-place effort against those rivals. She returns in a spot today, Alice Beach does, and she has just been training lights out. Uh, she's got a bunch of bullet works at the fairgrounds for Tom Amos, who does well off of a three-month extent, three-plus-month extended layoff. Uh, he's already won a race from five starts at Oakland Park this meet. Amos has, so he shipped in and won with these fairgrounds horses. And the other thing I will say about this honeybee field, not a lot of speed signed on. So I think Honor Cat and Neon Beach have some early zip, but you know both are also content to sit. So whether Alice's Beach is on the lead or she's sitting just right off the lead, I think she's going to receive a favorable trip on the front end of the honeybee today, and I like her chances with Julian Leperu. James Scully swinging for the fences in the grade three honeybee with 10 to one shot Alice Beach. Let's recap for you, James, before we let you get on your way. Number four, race number four at Oaklawn today, you will take number 11 favorite Outlaw at odds of nine to two. Race five, you'll go in number five Pepper's Girlfriend at eight to one. And race number nine, you'll take number one Alice Beach at odds of 10 to one. Sounds pretty good and to I me. Yeah, well, thank you, Mike. Let's catch some tickets for sure. I do want to mention that uh, today's the Rebel Stakes, and at TwinSpires.com, we have a Kentucky Derby profit boost on these um, on selected uh, 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 Road to the Kentucky Derby qualifiers like the Rebel. Uh, for all winning win, exacta, trifecta, and superfecta wagers, uh, Twin Spires is going to give you a 15% boost on your winning wagers up to $25 for the day. So it's just free money if, if you cash a ticket on the Rebel Stakes at TwinSpires.com today. We've got lots of other great promotions for tracks and um, you know racing all around the world. So make sure you check out the offers page and opt in at TwinSpires.com. Appreciate it, James. Good luck with the triple play and all the races later today. Thanks so much, Mike. All the best to you this weekend. All right, make sure you're betting those races at Twin Spires. When I come back, Kurt Becker takes you on his stroll through racing history, remembering Silver Charm on the week of his 30th birthday. I asked the answer with Dale Romans, and Tim Wilkin comes up at 10.30. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Airdrie Stud is proud to announce the arrival of grade one winning millionaire Happy Saver for the 2023 season. Happy Saver boasts one of the most important female families of the century as his third dam is broodmare of the year weekend surprise, dam of the legendary AP Indy. Undefeated in his first five starts, Happy Saver capped off his perfect four for four season with an emphatic victory in the historic grade one Jockey Club Gold Cup. And Happy Saver stays undefeated. He steps up and he wins the grade one. Jockey Club Gold Cup. Airdrie Studs. Happy Saver. Think about it. 
There's a corner of Kentucky and Bourbon County, which some refer to as the promised land. There's something in the soil and water that make it something special. So special that some of the world's greatest horsemen have staked their claim in the soil just outside of Paris. Iconic names such as Claiborne, Coolmore, Stone, and Darley grace the fence lines which have housed champions for generations. The name Alapa shines as a tribute to the Gilded Age, sharing the stature and grandeur of its neighbors. Born from the wealth, passion, and imagination of Edward Sims, no expense was spared to fulfill his vision. Sims was in the same league as John Madden and Arthur B. Hancock Sr. as a commercial breeder. The torch has been passed. Welcome to Hill and Dale at Alapa. It's time now to shine the spotlight on the Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. Post time now, kicks in that gear. Here's post time. Post time on the outside. Post time in 7-11. Post time kicks away with authority late. Post time to win. Going away by three. Post time, the son of Darley Stallion Frosted scored in the grade three General George this past weekend. He has now won seven of eight lifetime starts and is currently the only horse in North America to have registered two triple-digit buyers in 2024, which makes him your Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. Darley Stallion Frosted. His eight greatest stakes horses in 2023 are best among all stallions standing for under 30,000. They include grade three winners Ice Dancing, Frost Point, and Jasper Crone. Frosted stands value price for the 2024 season at just $10,000 live full. Learn more about Frosted and all the Darley Stallions by visiting DarleyAmerica.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Hello, I'm Kurt Becker. Thanks for joining me as I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. It seems like it was not that long ago when he was winning the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Dubai World Cup. Maybe it's why, at least for some of us, a phrase heard this week seemed almost impossible to believe. Happy 30th birthday, Silver Charm. Make no mistake, Silver Charm was pulled on February 22, 1994. Since the fall of 2014, he had resided at the Old Friends Retirement Facility in Georgetown, Kentucky, and they threw a grand party a couple of days ago in honor of his milestone birthday. Silver Charm was born on the farm of Scott and Diane Dudley near Ocala, Florida. Many years ago, Scott Dudley remembered him as a robust colt, the kind that if he had been born in the wild, would have survived. Randy Hartley, who with Dean Dorenzo had purchased Silver Charm as a yearling for $16,500, once said he was tough as nails, a steel gray runner with a tremendous way of going. During his racing years, Jay Hovde would describe Silver Charm as short coupled power wrapped in gunship gray with an explosion of white on his face. As a racehorse, Silver Charm would become known for his grit. He loved a confrontation, and he could cover a distance of ground as well. He was a perfect blend of his parents. His sire, Silver Buck, had been a track record setter at a mile and a quarter at Belmont Park, while his dam, Bonnie's Poker, had raced 63 times in her career, the very definition of grit. 
By the time Silver Charm landed with owners Bob and Beverly Lewis, the couple who owned him throughout his racing career, he had already been traded more than a utility infielder, in the words of journalist Bill Finley. Breeder Mary Lou Wooten had consigned him to the yearling sales in Ocala in August of 1995, with Janie Roper acting as agent. Hartley and Dorenzo were his second owners. They sold him as a two-year-old privately to his third owner, C.J. Gray of Winnipeg, Manitoba. And after he failed to meet his $100,000 reserve at a two-year-old's in training sale, brothers J.B. and Kevin McCathan helped broker a deal which saw Silver Charm sell to trainer Bob Baffert for $85,000. It was up to Baffert to convince the Lewises to get on board, and that he did. It took some persuading. Bob Lewis admitted that Silver Charm was not particularly impressive, either physically or on pedigree, when he first saw him. But he and Beverly agreed to pay the $85,000. As Baffert said at the time, I can find horses that can run. The hard thing is finding owners with the dollars to buy them. Bob Lewis, reflecting on the success of Silver Charm years later, said with a laugh, I told Bob Baffert that from then on, I would trust his judgment. And now, in honor of Silver Charm's 30th birthday, a trip down memory lane. May 3rd, 1997, the 123rd running of the Kentucky Derby. Dave Johnson with the call. Silver Charm to the front, on the inside, Freehouse on the outside, Captain Bodgett. It's Captain Bodgett on the outside, Silver Charm at the rail, those two to the wire. Here's the finish, Silver Charm by a neck with Gary Stevens. The second choice at 4-1, to one, Silver Charm had edged 3-1 to one favorite Captain Bodgett for the Roses, with Freehouse, who had beaten Silver Charm twice on the West Coast, finishing third. Two weeks later, on May 17th, the setting was Baltimore for the 122nd running of the Preakness. The same three horses went at it again in the stretch. Once again, Dave Johnson with the call. Freehouse on the outside, Silver Charm noses apart. 50 yards to go, Freehouse and Silver Charm. Captain Bodgett is flying. Photo finish. Was it Silver Charm on the outside? Was it Freehouse on the rail? Neither jockey raising their arm in victory. It's a photo finish, noses apart. Just as the Kentucky Derby had been a photo finish won by a head, once again, Silver Charm, the winner in the Preakness, by a head. And so it was on to Belmont Park for the 129th running of the Belmont Stakes and a chance at the Triple Crown. But it was not meant to be. Instead, Touch Gold would rally down the stretch for the victory, defeating Silver Charm by what track announcer Tom Durkin called a heartbreaking half-length. There would still be an Eclipse Award that season for Silver Charm as champion three-year-old male, and there would be notable victories to come, including a triumph in the Dubai World Cup in March of 1998. All told, Silver Charm would win 12 races and nearly $7 million before retiring for stallion duty at the end of 1999. He would stand initially for a fee of $25,000 at Three Chimneys Farm in Midway, Kentucky, before being sold to Japanese interests. But the Lewis family had made provisions to bring him home to the U.S. when his stallion career had ended. And so it was that Silver Charm returned to the States and became a resident at Old Friends following the 2014 breeding season. When Silver Charm lost the Belmont, Hovde wrote that racing whipsaws the heart and boggles the mind. He added that despite the loss, Silver Charm had lifted the hopes of an entire sport and carried them for a month. 
and Kentucky Derby historian Jim Bolas, immediately following Silver Charm's victory in the Derby, wrote that Silver Charm was a gallant runner who should be appreciated. Even after all these years, Silver Charm is still appreciated and celebrated. And even though we are a couple of days late, we at HRRN add our voices to the throng. Happy 30th birthday, Silver Charm. Please join me again next week when I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. For HRRN, I'm Kurt Becker. And once again, my thanks to Kurt and to Keeneland for making those segments possible each and every week. If you have missed any of Kurt's Stroll Through Racing History segments, all you have to do is head back over to our website, horseracingradio.net. You can check out the special podcast page dedicated to those stories and listen to every single one. There have been some amazing ones. Go back and listen at horseracingradio.net. When I come back, Del Romans, Tim Wilkin, they will be here. It is this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The race is on at Sam Houston Race Park. Don't miss a minute of the action now through April with Thoroughbred Stakes Racing every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There's something different every weekend, including special events that are fun for the whole family. And, of course, we're the place for live music and great drink specials every Friday, along with delicious dining and the best Sunday brunch around. So race in for all the excitement at Houston's best bet for fun and entertainment. Sam Houston Race Park. Visit SHRP.com for details. Deep in the heart of horse country, from these Kentucky hills has sprung a legacy rivaled by few. From the all-time greats of yesterday to the breed-shaping bloodlines of today, our roots hold strong with the promise of tomorrow. For over a century, our passion has guided us to where we stand and everything we stand for. Claiborne Farm. The tradition continues. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races, dine trackside in 10 Palms with an elevated view of the track, and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. This is I Ask, They Answer on the Equine Forum on HRRN. Chasing Freedom is four wide. B-Dancer, Real Men, Violin toward the inside as they turn for home after three quarters in one minute 14.74 seconds. Track Phantom charging on the outside as Resilience. Hall of Fame flattens out. Chasing Freedom trying to keep a straight path and Sierra Leone charging hard on the outside. It's Track Phantom. Resilience. Chasing Freedom in tight quarters between horses. Sierra Leone on the outside for Tyler Gaffleone. Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone track Track Phantom down. Chasing Freedom third and Resilience finished fourth in the Rizzo Star. 
Sierra Leone returned to the races with a vengeance last Saturday. Rolling past the field to capture the Risen Star, John Dooley had the call. Sierra Leone is now catapulted to the top of the Derby rankings. But is it too soon to go all in on buying the Chad Brown trainee? Plus, would the Fountain of Youth be the right or wrong move for Holy Bull upsetter Hades? And which claimers make Dale and Tim's list of all-time great blue-collar horses? We're going to talk about those topics and much, much more straight ahead on this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer with trainer Dale Romans and turf rider Tim Wilkin, all presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program in the College of Business and all starting just 30 seconds from right now. Learn the business of horses in the world's only accredited equine business program, the University of Louisville Equine Business Program. The University of Louisville has a legacy of excellence educating and developing industry leaders for over 35 years. Classes are taught by industry experts in state-of-the-art facilities located in the heartland of America's equine industry. The University of Louisville Equine Business Program. When it comes to horses, we mean business. For more information, visit business.louisville.edu equine. All right, gentlemen, we're going to kick it off with a little game of buy or sell with topic number one, and that's based on what we saw in last weekend's Risen Star. So let's go with this one. Are you buying or selling the Risen Star winner, Sierra Leone? Tim, you want it first? Yes, I am buying Sierra Leone. You know, I thought the uh, it was such a visually impressive effort by the Chad Brown runner, you know, running down track phantom on a sloppy track, slow pace. And, um, Chad added blinkers for the first time for this, uh, 2.3 million son of gun runner. And, um, yeah, he, he looked like, uh, a horse that's, uh, going to go on the bluegrass will likely be next. And then onto the Derby he won Chad won this race couple years ago with Zandon and he then he went on to win the bluegrass with him and he was third in the derby so I think that um yeah Sierra Leone it yeah it's early it was a sloppy track slow pace but I think that this horse has a ton of upside moving forward yeah you got it bang there you go he looks like the real deal that was very impressive race of the day on a slop and that he's already shown he can run on fast track, so he's he's the real thing. All right, so would you be buying or selling the runner-up in that race, Track Phantom, Tim Wilkin? I would buy him as well. I mean, it's, uh, I mean the Asmussen camp didn't have any problems. They, they, they were satisfied with that race. You know, yeah, of course you want to win, um, but I think that, uh, you know, he did get away with a slow pace. He did... Uh, have to use him to get to the front from the 11 post, but I, I don't see any problem with this horse moving forward either. Um, I think he can be a factor in Louisville. Yep. Got to buy him to speed's always dangerous. Asmussen's always dangerous uh, moving forward. Plus this is such a strange year. I think nobody's really stood up, stood out to me so far. So still a wide open group by the speed. And, the, and this, this, you know, this race was probably the uh, the most competitive and the most salty field we've seen so far. They're going to get saltier as we move ahead, but so far this was the, uh, I think, the best prep race field um, of the season. 
So the top two finishers, you got to use both of them. You got to keep both of them. Buy them you both. Know, it, the, the numbers came back slow from what somebody was telling me this morning. I, I never looked at them, but that was that was just the chatter on the rail this morning. Well, numbers only count in math class. That's what I always say, you know, but I just thought that was strange. Yeah. Is Sierra Leone now the horse to beat in this division looking to the Kentucky Derby? You got Danny Morgan's horse still floating out there. He'll show up in the Fountain of Youth. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's too, you know, fierceness is still, you know, the jury might be a little bit out on him, but I think you've got to give him another chance too um, for the horses that are going into the Kentucky Derby. But Sierra Leone has to be uh, one of the ones right now. He has to be. Yeah, he's one of the top ones for sure. <laughs> All right, we're going to keep Dale awake with these next few. I'm, I'm throwing in some surprises here for you guys. You have no idea that these are coming. We're going to continue with buy or sell, and I'm going to ask you three more questions. Are you, Today is National Tortilla Chip Day, so are you buying or selling National Tortilla Chip Day? You like tortilla chips, Dale? I love tortilla chips with some good dipping sauce, whether it be guacamole or salsa. Yeah, I didn't know it was today, but I might go have me a few later. <laughs> so you're buying? I'm buying. Always buying the chips. Tim? I'm I'm buying only if the dip is good. Um, if, if the dip is crap, I don't want any part of it. Well, okay, so, so what's good dip? What does Tim Wilkin consider good dip? Um, guacamole is good. Um, I wouldn't mind a little hummus, a little healthy hummus for you. Uh, put that on the on the list. Salsa, so, salsa yeah. verde. Some what? Salsa, salsa verde. Well, that's that's all you because you're down there. That's green. I don't want that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing green for Tim. Hey. I knew when I said the word green, Dale, he was out. No, I like green vegetables, but the green dip kind of looks like barf to me. (laughs) What about the good old bean dip in the little can you crack open from 7-Eleven? That ain't bad either. (laughs) You can have that one. I'll never touch that. Throw a little cheese whiz on there. Exactly, right? Now you're you're talking. (laughs) All right, how about uh, tomorrow? Tomorrow is National Clam Chowder Day. Tim, are you buying National Clam Chowder Day? You know... I'm never going to buy clam chowder day because I remember an episode of the three stooges when Curly was making the soup. And I think it was, he had a clam in the soup and the clam was alive and kept coming up and biting them. So <laughs> I've always had a, a thing about clam chowder that I cannot touch thinking that Curly's clam is going to come up and bite me. So I've never eaten clam chowder and I never will Manhattan or New England. Well, I love, love clam chowder. And I, one of my goals in life is I want to be in Saratoga Springs, the, the Super Bowl weekend for the Chowder Festival. Everybody talks about how much fun that is, walking up and down the street. Never restaurant makes their chowder, and they have a contest, one winner. I like that that idea. Dale, yeah, New England, or, or, New England or Manhattan clam chowder, Dale? Mm, I'm New England most of the time, but every once in a while we'll throw a little Manhattan in there. I like the red sauce, too. All right, one more. Tomorrow is also National Chocolate-Covered Nut day, Tim. What say you? Buy or sell? Jeez, oh, I'm getting I'm getting all the sells today. I don't like nuts. <laughs> um, 
I, I, I'm just not a, a, you know, I've never been a guy that had that eats the chocolate with the nuts and those candy bars, what the Zag nuts and the, those uh, almond joys stuff. I'm, I've never been a guy for that. So I'm going to sell the nuts on the chocolate. Nah, you can't go wrong with a good Snickers bar. You know that, or an almond joy. Don't be knocking an almond joy. But I want to know who has the job of coming up with what day it is, what food day it is out there. <laughs> it's it's the uh, it's the guy that celebrates the national. I have nothing to do today. Yeah, and, and the guy that decides we have kind of a, a slow script today. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I told you I was going to have a few surprises, so there you go. Dale, what's your favorite candy bar? You brought up candy bars. Uh, Probably an Almond Joy, the one he just criticized. Ooh, yeah, I can't stand those either. I'm with Tim on that one. Yeah. You remember those? Yeah, I like Snickers. Remember those 100 grand bars that you used to get? Oh, yeah, they were good. Yeah. You know... I know what to get now for Halloween when you guys knock on my door. <laughs> yeah. Dressed as the track phantom. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Moving on. That was buy or sell. We'll do it again uh, in a couple of weeks when we get some more horses to talk about or maybe some more national days to talk about as well. Um, how about this one? The world's richest race, the $20 million Saudi Cup, takes place later today. $20 million is that's pretty good money. That's life-changing money. Um, but guys, is it worth the risk of shipping all the way there and the very real possibility your horse isn't the same horse when he returns, at least for the remainder of this year? Dale, you've, you've shipped to the Middle East and back. What do you think? I think it's worth it, and I, I'd take the chances. And I, I don't know if those statistics all play out. If I never really have sat down and looked at it, but I think you can get a horse back and have him ready for the summer races and back in good shape. You're talking about $12 million to the winner. I mean, how many horses are ever going to make that type of money in their life, no matter what, or have the opportunity to? You go from there, ship over to Dubai for another $10 million, and give them a little time off. Are you ready for the Whitney? I mean, the, the Saudi Cup, it's a pretty small sample. It's only the first one was run in 2020. Obviously, the Dubai World Cup has been around longer. But the one U.S. horse that has won the uh, Saudi Cup, well, won and then lost, was Maximum Security. He's been DQ'd. But he didn't, you know, he came back and didn't run again until July, won a couple races in California. And then he was um, uh, second in the Awesome Again and fifth in the Breeders' Cup Classic. You know, and you look at the other horses in a lot of them that went to Dubai, you know, they go like the Arrogates and the uh, California Chrome, uh, Curlin. You know, it's not like they're going to come back and run in a month. They, they, I mean, I don't know if it knocks them out or they just – It's Dale would have a better answer than me. It, it's um, Is it by design that you give them three months off after a trip to Dubai? But that's what seems to be the norm. I think it's by design. I think if you look at the – don't just look at those big races, but look at everybody who ships for the undercards and everything, and I think you've seen a lot of horses come back and do really well the rest of the year if you look at the the, the whole field. But but the fact that we're just looking at the the big race, is it um, – does, does, a, does a ship like that knock the horse out? A race that hard against the best in the world is going to hurt no matter where it's run. I mean, you're going to have to run your hardest to win that race, and I think that that's the – that's why I'm saying look at the whole 
group of the undercar race and all of them put together and see if it's actually the ship or it's uh, the competitiveness and how hard they have to run to win against the best in the world, no matter where what the race would be run. When you, I mean, the shipping part of it, when you're shipping across the world like that, does that take something out of a horse when they get there and acclimate, run, that they have to come all the way back? Does that, does the ship itself, or does it depend on the horse? I think it depends on the horse, but I think the ship can take a little bit. I think they jet lag just like we do. I think it's uh, it takes them a few days to get their feet under them and get back uh, adjusted to the the change in time and the daylight and the and the, and the darkness flip flopping and it's uh you know when I went over with Roses and May and we won I called uh, Baffert and I called Bill Mott and asked them both for a little bit of advice and they both told me the exact same thing have all your heavy lifting done here before you go over give them a light, nice little work and over there but have all the heavy stuff done here and keep them hydrated. And uh, that's what we did, and it worked out. But Roses, he never raced again after that, did he? No, but Roses and May was a different animal. It didn't have anything to do with the ship. He had, a, he had always fighting. No, he was always fighting a tendon and had other issues his whole life. He was he was just a tough old horse, and, and he he, uh, he got hurt training afterwards, and we had sold him to the Japanese, and he went on over to be a stallion. There wasn't, he didn't need to do any more. I mean, if he was a perfectly sound horse and had no problems, nothing we had to work on all the time, he would have continued running. But like I said, he was always he always had issues. Okay. All right. Well, so it sounds like the ship is not all that big of a deal, and you take your shot for the $12 million to the winner, and hopefully you come back here $12 million richer, give your horse a little time off, and then move on from there. Okay, it is time for us to move on here in the show, and we get a chance to say hello to our friend Nick Zito, and Dale and Tim get to tell me if the following statements are right or wrong. Yeah, right or wrong. Am I right? What do you think? Right or wrong? Two statements for you this week, guys. Number one, Breeders' Cup Juvenile winner Fierceness disappointed in his three-year-old, deba- his three-year-old debut, I can actually say that, in the Holy Bull. If Timberlake who was fourth in the juvenile and is the 6-5 to five morning line favorite in today's Rebel, runs poorly, would it be right or wrong to say the juvenile field wasn't very good? What do you think? Right or wrong? Tim, what do you think? I think wrong. Um, I think it's too early to come down on a field. Um, there were nine horses that ran in the juvenile. Um... Uh, Four of them haven't come back to the races yet. And if we look back at the trainers of these horses, three were from Todd Pletcher, three were from Bob Baffert. I mean, Moose, who was second, won the, for Bob in the in the juvenile. He won the San Vicente in his first start as a three-year-old. Um, Locke, who was third, missed the, uh, Sam Davis with a fever, and he's going to be coming back in the Fountain of Youth. What, he, he runs big there. I mean, you got to give props to the, this field then. Timberlake today um, um, noted who was last for Todd was uh, ran on the grass in his first start there and he wind me up for another one from Baffert who was second to last in the juvenile finished seven and a half lengths behind, behind Nysos uh, in his uh, last start so I don't think that you can say that this uh, juvenile field wasn't any good I think the jury's still out but I think there's some uh, potentially there's a chance that, they, that some nice horses will end up as three-year-olds here. 
Yeah, I agree. It's too early to tell. It's uh, you know they're, they're going to go on and do some good things. There are two good horses in there, and uh, they'll all come out running. I think it's just an odd group of horses. Uh, they all seem to be beating each other, and it's just there's just no standout. I think it's a strange year. It's a fun year though. I think it's been fun to watch it all. There's a standout, but he can't run in the Derby. Well, yeah, you're right. Yep. When I told you, I made him three to one early line in the Preakness. <laughs> yeah, maybe too high. Maybe a shorter price than that by the time we get well, to the by, middle jewel. By the time it gets there, but I'm giving you these odds early. Yeah. Sign Trainer Joe Orsino, guys, is still weighing his options with Holy Bull, Upsetter Hades. Orsino hasn't completely closed the door on a run in next Saturday's Fountain of Youth. Would it be right or wrong to run Hades in that race as opposed to waiting until the Florida Derby on March 30th? What do you think? Right or wrong? Dale, what do you think? Well, it's funny talking to Jason Luch a couple of days ago that uh, he was quoting a statistic he heard on a rival radio show that I won't mention. That the, <laughs> peop- the people who always w- have waited for the last two races to, to make the Derby their third start in the cycle, over the last 34. I'd say if your horse is ready running, get, get some more experience under his belt. Mm, the D. Wayne Lucas School. Yep, it worked for him four times. Timmy, I mean, it's not. It's not like this is, uh, you know, uh, uncharted ground. I mean, t- trainers have run in both the Florida Derby and the Holy Bull before, um, and as recently as 2021, when Shug ran Greatest Honor, he won both the Fountain Youth and the Holy Bull, and up third in the Florida Derby. Um, then didn't run in the Kentucky Derby. I mean, Mohamed for Karen won the, the Fountain Youth and the Holy Bull, and he was fourth in the Florida Derby, and then fourth in the Kentucky Derby. And another horse named Booklet in 2002 for John, the late John Ward. He was, um, after winning the Fountain Youth and Holy Bull, he was fourth in the Florida Derby. Then was second in the Bluegrass and didn't run in the Kentucky Derby. I mean, Joe Orsino knows his horse. And um, like he said after a work uh, last week, he said, you know, he's not closing the door on it, but it's also not like it's this is etched in stone. If the horse is looking at him like I, he wants to run, he's going to run him. Um, this he's, he had three starts in his career, and he's three for three, uh, two of them last year. So I wouldn't be surprised if he runs him in there if the horse is telling him he wants to run. I have no problem with that at all. My advice is to Joe, do what you think's best, and don't worry about what anybody else says or thinks. Don't train the horse the way the press thinks you should. Dale, you you did that with Shackelford. If you recall, he didn't run in the Holy Bull, but he ran in an allowance race, which would have been about that same time. And then he came back in the day. Fountain of Youth in the Florida Derby. Yep. And he ran pretty good in all of them. Ended up fourth in the Derby, won the Preakness. Yep. Fourth, fourth in the Belmont. He kept right on going. High school, Travers, everything. All right, we'll do that all over again with Nick Zito on next Saturday's I Ask, They Answer program. Guys, a couple more topics to get to here this morning before you get to make your final point of the week. And this one involves Uncaptured Storm, who is a four-year-old son of Uncaptured. He has now been named the 2023 National Claiming Horse of the Year. Earlier in the show, I, I had a wonderful visit with his owner, Rick Burnsworth. The gelding changed hands five times last year, winning at least one race for whomever he ran. We've talked about some of the greatest claims of all time, but which horses will make your list of the top claimers 
of all time. And Dale, maybe even for you, some of the top claimers that you've had the privilege to be around over the years. Well, uh, of course, the top claimers, I don't know how anybody's ever going to top John Henry. Mm-hmm. Claimed for 25000 retired the richest racehorse in history. Uh, I've gotten lucky with a few claims. I think at Turbo Thrust, we claimed he was Kentucky claiming horse of the year. We claimed for 25. He won five uh, races in a row after that. And, um, Hallery Lee, we claimed for 75000 She ended up being a multiple greatest stakes winner and sold for a lot of money at the auction. I mean, claiming, I'm getting back into claiming a little bit. I didn't do it for 20 years, but it, it, the way the purses are today, and the way that uh, the scrutiny of the horse before and after they run when you claim them, it's really a good opportunity to get in and do it as a business and not just for fun. I think you can make money with it. So we, we have played around with it a little this year. I'm going to try to get a lot more serious when we get back to Kentucky. Hmm. If anybody out there wants to claim a horse, call me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would be calling you if I was looking to claim a horse for sure. Yeah. Timmy, how about you? No, yeah, we talked about this uh, before, and, um, you know, we mentioned some of those name horses that uh, got started in the claiming ranks. You know, like Dale said, John Henry, I mean, Seabiscuit ran in claimers. Stymie, um, back in the 40s, uh, when Dale was just getting started in the training game. And, um, <laughs> Lava Man, uh, Rich Strike was claimed uh, before he won the Derby. There's a, there's a horse that uh, I remember. I remember talking to his trainer, David Wells, um, a horse named Rapid Redux, who was on the, the Laurel Circuit, uh, Penn National. And he, he was in claiming races, and then they kept him in the cheap, cheap races, uh, start allowances. And he won 22 straight races back about 10, 12 years ago. And um, he was a neat story for a while because, you know, he set the American record for for most consecutive wins with 22 and he would, you know, he, he didn't make a lot of money, but, um, you know, it was a cool story for a while. He was thrust into the, uh, national limelight for a little bit when he was, uh, winning all these races, albeit, uh, you know, you know, he never ran the graded stake, but he was, uh, it, it was fun to watch that horse keep winning. And, you know, it's, it's always good when like, you know, the, the little guy gets into the national spotlight and that and rapid redux certainly did that i always got a big kick out of that and when i talked to david wells about uh his horse yeah some really cool blue collar horses i'll take uncaptured storm and throw him on the list he wins nine of 18 races last year and he wins for five different connections uh that's a a pretty hard-knocking horse right there. So congratulations to all of those connections of the National Claiming Horse of the Year. All right, one final topic before your final point of the week, and this one involves an anniversary here today, guys. It was 45 years ago today that trainer J.C. Williams saddled eight winners in 12 attempts at Waterford Park. Williams also owned seven of those eight winners, so congratulations to him. That is one heck of a day. What are some of the greatest single-day performances you can recall a trainer having? Dale, you want to take this one first? I'll take it, and I've only got one. I tell him every time, I'm about once a month when we're hanging out, I think it's one of the greatest feats in American racing. Shook McGahee's five grade one wins on one day. I don't know how anybody could top that. Great call. Yeah, that was uh, Breeders' Cup preview day in 93. 
Yes, it was. I made him reel them all off to me the other day. I think he actually won six races on the day because he also won the Lawrence race, I think. I'll find out tomorrow. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty good one. Um, I mean, there's Richard Mandela's 2003 Breeders' Cup when he won four races on the day, including the classic but pleasantly perfect. Um, I mean, Chad Brown, a few years back, when he went down the Arlington Million, and he won all four graded stakes, and including the three grade ones. Uh, he had bricks and mortars in the million, Sister Charlie in the Beverly D, and uh, Vail Point in the Secretariat. Uh, <clears throat> that was a, a really neat feat. But the one that uh, I came across, I don't know if you guys remember this, but the Michael Dickinson, the mad genius, when he was training in Europe, he won 12 on one day in Europe. Um he had 20 different horses running on the day in different tracks, six different tracks across Europe. He won 12 of them. And supposedly, as the story goes, he had told his parents when they were out to dinner one night that he was going to set the record, and he did. 12, 12 yeah. winners in one day. I think wow. I've never heard that story. Day. I think it was called Boxing Day. That's yeah, that was. Cool. Uh, I do kind of remember that, reading it somewhere. And then I went and looked it up. That's that's great story. Great story. That's one hell of an accomplishment. Yeah. Well, happy anniversary to J.C. Williams here on this Saturday morning. Guys, it is time in the, that time of the show when you get to make your final point of the week before we wrap things up. So, Timmy, why don't you take it first this week? Well, you know, the it was kind of sad last week when we heard the about the passing of Echo Zulu, who was such a champion, uh, champion two-year-old filly and won 9 of 11 and she was on her way to the Breeders' Cup this year and she got injured a, a bad injury in the training broke two sesamoids her left front and she just couldn't she was euthanized in the in the incident in her stall at Santa Anita last Sunday and you know you root, you were, everyone was rooting for her to beat the odds and come back and be and be able to be a mama but it just wasn't to be just a, a, a sad situation. Now we just have to hope that uh, she'll get into the Hall of Fame one day. Yes, you're right. Hopefully she will. I just uh, I want to say that my stable this week lost a good friend, Cupertino Puma. They worked for me for over 20 years before he went back to Guatemala last, last uh, year. Passed away in Guatemala two days ago great man who's with me all through the kitten's joy roses of may the good and the bad and the ugly he traveled all over the country with me and all i want to say is rest in peace cooper uh, amen to that amen my to condolences that. dale all right fellas guys appreciate it enjoy the weekend we'll talk again next week sounds good thank you if you have a topic you want to hear Dale and Tim discuss, email that topic to us, Mike at horseracingradio.net. We'll get it worked into the show going forward. I Ask the Answer is presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. I'm back with more. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. Hi, Tony. Hey, Matthew. There's a reason why Tony's Steaks and Seafood is my favorite restaurant. It's because I want to feel part of the family. Isn't that right, Tony? That's right. There's a saying on the wall that I 
truly believe in. There's always room for one more at our table. We just want you to be part of our family. And believe me, you will be. It's Tony's Steaks and Seafood right across from Triangle Park. Visit them at TonySteaksAndSeafood.com. Hi, this is jockey Brian Hernandez. For me, there's no bigger thrill than crossing the finish line in front. And nobody captures the excitement of our sport like Horse Racing Radio Network. Each week, HRRN brings you exclusive talk shows, podcasts, and in-depth conversations with the biggest names in racing, jockeys, trainers, owners, and more. Plus, HRRN is committed to helping disabled riders through their support of the PDJF. So climb aboard a winner today by visiting horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Hey, if you're competing or breeding in Kentucky, you are definitely seeing green in the bluegrass. Combined purse money paid out in 2023 hit another all-time high of more than $196 million. Of the 14 tracks that averaged more than $500,000 in daily purses in 2023, four of them, Kentucky Downs, Churchill, Keeneland, and Ellis Park, are all in Kentucky. In addition, over $200 million has been distributed to Kentucky breeders since 2006. With purse money soaring, the KBIF contributing $16.2 million to eligible breeders. The fullest fields in the country with an average field size of 8.8 that is higher than New York, Florida, and California. And quality racing year-round at our five racetracks. There is no better time to race and breed in the bluegrass. Invest in success. Race and breed in Kentucky. Breed them. Raise them race them we all win for more information visit kentuckybreds.com well my thanks to all the guests who helped to make this show possible here jared burdine was with me from hillendale talking about their outstanding stallion roster steve cohen from sirius xm what a delightful visit with him in hour number one nick luck was here great stuff from nick talking about his conversations with mike rapoli and Stuart janney ken mcpeak with bobby newman rick burnsworth at the end of hour number two, talking about the National Claiming Horse of the Year. James Scully was with me for the Twin Spires Triple Play. Kurt Becker gave you his stroll through racing history, and I asked the answer with Dale and Tim in the previous segment. If you missed any portion of the show, head back and check out the podcast on our website, horseracingradio.net, and on every podcast platform. And don't forget, too, to check out my visit with trainer Lauren Robson on Trainer Talk this past week. Some wonderful stories, including a great story about picking dandelions with the late, great Alan Jerkins. You won't want to miss it. My thanks to my producer, Lee Delapina, in our Lexington studio, and to Chauncey for handling all of our social media again this morning. Great job, guys. I'm back next week with another brand new edition. I'm Mike Penna. Thanks for listening to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires here on HRRN. Go Steelers. <laughs>